What's up, party people? It's Talib Kweli, the host of the People's Party. I know you've been enjoying it so far. We thank you for your love and support. We got more People's Party coming up in the future. We got Godfrey. We got MERS. We got Razzcast. We got so much going on right now with the People's Party. You don't want to miss it. Talib Kweli, Jasmine Lee, the People's Party, Up Rocks. This is how we do it. See y'all in a second. Boys and girls, children of all ages, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the People's Party. Party people gather around. What you have is a brand new sight and sound. Give it up for Jasmine Lee in the house with us tonight. What up, though? How you feeling, Jasmine? I mean, new hair, who this? That's how I'm feeling. Are you feeling good? You feeling extra confident? Oh, yeah. I got my nails done. I got my hair done. I'm ready to do this thing. It's a special occasion. Yes. Today's People's Party guest touches people with his lyrics and his music in amazing ways. He's an excellent storyteller. Um, He's a team player, but he's also a solo phenomenon. Uh, He makes the universe recognize, submit, make an underground raw shit daily all the time. He's not just an MC, though. He's a cultural creator. He's a cultural curator. Uh, He's an all-around boss in the game. Give it up for Murs in the house tonight. Thanks for coming to join us. (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah, man, I got my my outcast colors on. Yeah, and those pants, man. Yeah, man, my pants is, is, is killing the game today. You know, these pants I've worn on stage a couple of times. Um, and so people have seen them, and now I'm wearing them on the People's Party, so I'm going to have to retire them soon. <laughs> yeah, isn't that suck yeah, to be a rapper? You yeah, you got retired gear. Yeah, I can't wear that. It's too bright. Once something's too amazing, uh-huh. you can wear it once, maybe in a video, once right. in real life, and then you're done. And then you're done. Maybe put it in the closet, bring it back out on some vintage Shit, yeah. like 20 years Yeah, vintage later. you shit. <laughs> vintage you, remember me from this? Yo, that, oh, that's right. the get by quality. He has a get by outfit. Instagram has ruined wearing outfits over and over again. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right, and I have my last two videos, I'm wearing the same shirt, and it's different weeks, and it really took a lot for me to post it, but I'm like, I really want to post this video, so whatever. See, I don't care on my Instagram. Like, my Instagram is like, it looks like I'm wearing the same outfit for a week. Oh, God. That's, yeah, the Simpsons, like yeah. Flintstones. That's a Cartoon, Tyler. <laughs> yeah. It looks like, you know, the same, like I got the same gear on like uh, Peter Griffin, you know, white shirt, green pants, that's it. That's what I'm doing. Do you remember on Doug when he used to go in his closet and it was a bunch of green and khaki shoes? I was too old for Doug. I didn't watch oh, Doug. Oh, sorry, Doug. <laughs> oh, yeah. I saw you. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So, Murs, how you feeling? <laughs> how you feeling, bro? I'm good, man. I'm good. All right. So the first question I want to start with is, why did you tase me, bro? Oh, shoot. <laughs> Bro, man. Wait, you know wait. What? We need some context. Yeah, man. Because Murs tased me. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> there's a cat- lot. There's a lot. There's a lot to that, With man. a cattle prop. But just. <laughs> wait. Were you. <laughs> there, yeah, there's no context, bro. So, yeah. Whoa. I saw Quali on Melrose. I went back to the car. <laughs> I got my cattle prop, which I have with me at all times. Because I'm a farmer. I'm a rancher <laughs> as well. Jolly Rancher, and then we saw your spider hunter too. Yeah, spider hunter, spider hunter. So I saw the green him. Goblin. I saw him at Urban Outfitter on Melrose. <laughs> he was coming out, and I was like, "He has to get this. He has to get this work." Wait, wait a minute. And what did you do? You just and fell? What, what no, you took it like a G. I took it like a G. Stop playing, Merce. No, we did. You always do this. Yeah. That's what I said. Why well, you always do this? So why right you doing that's this? Crazy. What's going on? It's getting old. Um, now we were on the uh, Eric Andre show, oh. trying out some things. 
And uh, Merce is a friend of the show. It was my first time there. Yeah, that was my first time there, too. Okay, okay. You seemed very comfortable because you was tasing me. (laughs) I felt like you worked there or some shit. I was like, oh, he must, this must be, he must be the tase guy. This is the guy. That's his job. Yeah, like, keep me in a box. Where did you tase him at? In my leg. In his leg. Okay. Same place I got tased 30 minutes later. Did you tase them back? No. No, The universe tased him. (laughs) (laughs) That karma doesn't take long. Yeah, Yeah, no, it was quick karma. Oh, oh man, I like That's no um, joke. He took it. He took it better than me. I've always wanted I fell to be down. tased. You always what? Okay, I don't know why I'm so. Is that a weird. is that an intimate I'm, thing or yeah? Like, you sound freaky. You like, like you a tased by your boyfriend? Relax, relax. So you want to be tased by the police? No, I only wanted to be tased because when they I was watching something on TV and they were learning to be a police officer and they had to get tased or maybe it was a movie. I don't know what it was, but I was like, oh, I want to see how it is to get tased. But not it was shameless. Like, Oh, that's what it was then. Yeah, I, I watched that episode where the, where the black dude dared him, yes! he bet him to tase him, and he tased the black dude, and then the black dude took it, and then he owed him money, and then they were shooting at him for the rest of the episode. Yeah. What the yeah. fuck? It's an ill episode of Shameless. I'm on Shameless too, by the way. So yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Just look in the background a little bit closer and you'll see me. Oh, yeah. okay. I didn't. Well, know yeah, you should have just moved, just got tased like in between takes or something. I wasn't there for that day, unfortunately. Yeah, Eric said that there's like, Cattle prod is the lowest. What he wow. was fucking with us with was the lowest. And then a taser, then and he, he broke it all down. He's a crazy wow. psychopath, man. So did y'all both hit the ground or y'all just kept walking? Like He stood up. I was, I, can, <laughs> I don't know how much we could talk about, but I was on an apparatus and I had to fall off the apparatus. And it looks like a delayed reaction because it hits you and then it hits you. <laughs> like it hit me and I took it. I was like, ah, the initial thing. And then my leg seized up and I, was, I had to fall off the thing. <laughs> wow. That um, was not fun. That is crazy. And for some reason, I just, since you guys were talking about, oh, is that a sex thing? I'm like, I wonder how it would feel to get tased in your vagina. Would it feel good? Or in what? your vagina? Because it's like a vibrator. That seems like it would feel terrible. I could tell you right now from being tased through my pants on my leg. It doesn't both... seem like, yeah, a vagina would stand nah. up to the... Vaginas are durable. Yeah. It's like they can very put babies <laughs> out. Very but strong. you don't tase those motherfuckers. It's a misconception how that pussy equals weakness. Yeah. You know? It but tasing, that sounds strong. a little um, out of my wheelhouse. A little S and M, yeah. Um, speaking of pussy, um, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about pussy and pizza. Okay, which is a great record. Oh, thank you, man. Um, you say things in it that I really like, like see the world, but remember where the fuck you from. That's mm. very important. Yeah. Um, I love my job, but I hate doing interviews. Yeah. Break that down, man. You know the the routine, man. Mm-hmm. I hate getting asked questions, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, so like growing up with my mom, I was uh, raised by a single mother mm-hmm. and. Mothers always want to know, how was your day? What are you doing? <laughs> right. It's like having a girlfriend. It's training for a girlfriend before you have a girlfriend. <laughs> oh, that's wow. a good way to look at it. So guys who always had a multiple girlfriends, I never understood because it's like, that's three women wondering where the fuck you at, what mm-hmm. you did today, how you're feeling about shit. Mm-hmm. I just grew I just got to the point where I hated questions. So when I got out of my mom's house, I don't want to answer nobody. I don't answer the questions from the police. <laughs> right. So like, when I do interviews, it's just, it's not that I hate doing interviews, it's just I hate getting asked questions, man. And I don't like being the center of attention either. What? So it's really, um, but these things, like podcasts, have opened it up where it's like a conversation. Right. But when you can someone, ask me a question, we can go back and forth. Yeah. But mm-hmm. when it's like a phoner or something, mm-hmm. it's just a million questions. It's not that I don't like interviews. I just don't like questions. Right. Well, we appreciate you doing our show. Yeah. We, we got won't some ask you any questions. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, we really, really, really move in the same circles. Yes. But we've never really spent any time together. We've never really worked together. I mean, from Knotts to Terrence Martin to uh, uh, Knife Pump, Wonder. Pumpkinhead. Pumpkinhead, rest, rest in peace, peace. To, to PH. Um, you know, LP and them. Like, you know, we're very adjacent. What do you think it is about us that we move with the same people we never really connected? 
Because I connect man, with a lot of different I think, artists. You know what is this? I like. I was like, I'm not. I don't really like quality that much. Man. <laughs> That's why you take. And then for years, for years, and I was like, the other day, I was like, man. It's maybe because we're very similar. I think we're very similar. And, and that's the funny part. I was mm -hmm. like, man. I was like, man, because, you know, we share Jose. Mm -hmm. And uh, we share Jose. That yeah, we share, right. we, sh we share our road manager. <laughs> we share our road manager with Miss Hill. <laughs> with Miss Hill. Vaginas and tasers. Tasers and vaginas. And, and, and with Jennifer Lopez. Which yeah, is, now with Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. Jose is tasing a lot of vaginas. He out there really getting it. Shout out to you. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I just from... I don't know, man. I don't think I like. I don't. I. I think I don't like conscious rappers, and mm -hmm. I try not to move in a circle of conscious. Like mm -hmm. that's my job, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, so man, I didn't think I would like you, man. And then um, <laughs> the more we talk, man, I mm -hmm. think I do like you, man. Well, I, I'm glad because I like you too. Thank you, man. Um, conscious rappers is like you know that's that's obviously is a stigma to it. We had a conversation as we were deciding to ask you these questions, right? And then somebody was like, came up with a question with like, ask Murs about being a conscious rapper. And I'm like, but is Murs a conscious rapper? Or is he just a nigga with dreads that rap? Mm. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like, like, like what Andre said, like every nigga with dreads, dreads they, you know, the yeah. yeah. So I'm like, when I listen to Murs, and this is where I started getting confused, because I'm like, when I listen to Murs, I'm not getting conscious rap. I'm yeah. getting good times. I'm getting love for the culture. But then I start thinking, I'm like, he, I do get pro-blackness. So yeah. even though he out there, talking about drinking beer and I'll kill you if you break up with me and I'm going to strip <laughs> clubs and shit like that. You know, I'm also getting this consciousness, this pro-black thing running through it. And you, in your interviews, you come across as, as, as conscious. You come across as more conscious in your interviews than you do in your music. Yeah. You know, so what do you think about the stigma of being, a, of, of being called that? Do people consider you a conscious MC in your experience? I think people have, but mm -hmm. then they don't. I think I have a... I told my white friend that's a rapper, um, shout out to the Grouch, um, who worked shout on the project. Yeah. But I told him, I was like, well, he's like, what songs do you like? And I'm like, man, I'm just a black kid from the hood that's lucky that white people like my music. Mm. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the black rapper mm -hmm. that white people that love white rappers like. Ah, that's interesting. Because there's white people who like black rappers, but usually mm -hmm. they like ignorant shit. Like, oh, I love Dipset. I'm like, well, what part yeah, yeah, of yeah. that do you relate to? There's a part of, right. I think there's a part of hip hop angst and rebelliousness that a white kid will tap into. Like, from in my experience, and I've talked to R.A. the Rugged Man about this, but like, shout out R.A. Yeah, the white racists who come at me online, their fans are like R.A. the Rugged Man. Their fans are Jedi Mind Tricks. Their fans are Wu Tang. Their fans are Onyx. They like there's these fans of M.O.P. Yeah. You know, they like they like this aggressive like. I like that aggressive, like I could feel like I'm in the streets. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That, that's, I think, appeals to someone who may be outside of the culture. Oh, yeah. Those white fans don't like my music. <laughs> okay. You're talking <laughs> about a different white I white for like real white people that like, right. uh, like, they like atmosphere. And well, then, you've, you've worked a lot with, with atmosphere. Yeah. You've worked a lot with, with, uh, with, uh, with other white MCs. And I've heard you talk about a ceiling for black rappers in the underground space. Yeah. Is that a real thing? Yeah, I think me and the only person I'm allowed to say because other people get mad when I put them in this group, but I think me and, and Lyft really hit that mm -hmm. ceiling mm -hmm. hard. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, you know, I did a show. The perfect example I give is me and me and Sean Slug, Atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Atmosphere is a group. Slug is a member, but I'll, can, I'll refer to them as Atmosphere as the right. general See, he's doing does. the context thing. I need to get better at that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're giving him context. I'm trying to learn how to do that with the, with the podcast. So Atmosphere... Mm -hmm. Huge, huge, huge group, mm -hmm. lot, largely, uh, right. 99 right. The groups that I've worked with, I work with Slug, yeah. and they have me on the festival this year, the... Um, um, the um, God uh, damn it, why? Soundset. Soundset, my favorite festival, by the way, favorite hip-hop show. Yeah, it's dope. Yeah. And uh, we worked together for years. We did mm -hmm. an album together. Mm -hmm. I was his hype man, and during the tour, he graduated me. I mean, I was his opener, and then he graduated mm -hmm. me to his hype man, and we had a project together, so it kind of made sense. Mm -hmm. Then we did Felt 2, 
And we sold a lot of records. So everyone that knows him knows me by at this point. Mm -hmm. So we do um, the Warp Tour. And on an off day, the Warp Tour doesn't pay a lot of money. You got to do shows on your right, off right. day to make it work. So we did uh, a show in New Mexico, sold out. Mm -hmm. I was like, great. All right, cool. When I put out my you know, album on Def Jacks, I'm going to come back and hit this. And uh, the next time I came back, I maybe sold... I was somewhere between 100 and 300 tickets. I was just with the mm -hmm. promoter. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of the night, I was like, man, we sold this room out when I was with Atmosphere. I was like, did we not promote it? And I was like, it can't be the white and black thing. It can't be that. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, I, the promoter's, uh, I think he's like mixed. And he probably me to the side, he's like, I don't want to bust your bubble, bro, <laughs> but um, the Atmosphere tickets went on sale. He's coming in three months. And the Atmosphere tickets went on sale this morning. Uh. And he's already sold more tickets for three months from now than you sold tonight. And I was like, oh, okay. So y'all mm -hmm. like me when I'm with the white boy, but when I'm by myself, mm -hmm. I have a very select few people. That's interesting. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Run the Jewels. I wonder if that's things that Mike experiences at all. Yeah, when he goes solo? Mm -hmm. Run the Jewels is such a fucking... Yeah, it's an important, phenomenal group. Yeah, but it's, it's, a, very it's a thing. I always tell a story. Like I remember going to... I think he he said, I'll Sleep When You're Dead or Cancer for the Cure. There's was LP's album, mm -hmm. and he did all of rap music. Mm -hmm. So he produced rap music for Killer Mike. Mm -hmm. Killer Mike rapping over LP beats. Right. LP put out an LP record rapping over LP beats. Right. They did separate sets. I went to the show. It looked like one of my, like a decent crowd, smaller rooms. It wasn't what Run the Jewels is. Mm -hmm. Then they got off that tour and they said, hmm, you know mm. what would be even bigger? If we rapped over my beats together. Mm. Like why would that equal ultimate success? Right. But it was right. just doing what came natural because they were friends. Right. right. And they just did it anyway. But on paper, that doesn't make sense. Like, Killer Mike didn't right. go through the roof rapping over LP beats. LP's last album, rapping over his own beats, didn't sell phenomenally. Right. Well, so. fuck it. Put them together over the same production and give them a really awesome logo. Mm -hmm. And they take over the world. Yeah, man. Let's talk about LP for a second because he's somebody who um, has been, was an early, early influence on me and the whole way I saw the business. And Rook is, you know, uh, very much tapped into his business model. And, and then you oh, yeah. went on and did stuff with Def Jux. Um, yeah, man. Talk about, let's talk about how important LP is. LP is super important, man. Mm -hmm. He was, he was, not to be blasphemous, but mm -hmm. my Chuck D. What Chuck did for Ice Cube, mm -hmm. but like taking him out of his West Coast crew mm -hmm. and giving mm -hmm. him East Coast credibility. Mm -hmm. Like there was like, I met LP, I think at the Gavin or something. Mm -hmm. No, at, at Rocksteady. We were at the Rocksteady Park. And I gave him my tape. I said, we're going to do a showcase together at the Gavin. I was mm -hmm. selling tapes in Rocksteady Park. I was like 18, 19. And he's like, cool. And then I don't know, some way we ended up at a strip club. I let him borrow some money. And then we became friends. <laughs> right. That's and then we went to Denny's are. together in, in San Diego. And I don't know, we just kept in touch. Mm -hmm. And then we went to Japan together mm -hmm. one time. And we, were just, we were doing the same type of independence. Company folks sort of like living legends. Mm -hmm. And me and L just kind of hit it off. I think we're both Pisces. And uh, he was like, yo, I want you to put... Yo, kid, I want to put a record out for you. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? And the first dude to ever give me a shot. There's so many West Coast labels and so many mm -hmm. independent giants on the West Coast and or West Coast labels, mm -hmm. and nobody gave me a shot. And L was like, yo, word. Like, I want to put your record in stores. Yeah, he has such a big vision. People don't really give him credit for him being sort of the foundation of a lot of, you know, a lot of people like you and me entry into this business. The fact that he started with official and then went to Ruckus and then Def Jux and yeah. then I think there was something else even after that before Run the Jewels. Yeah. Um, and the fact that Run the Jewels is still, like he's we, we all the same age and he still remained cutting edge. Um, I think his his impact is very important, understated. Yeah, and I think it's um something that the Post Malones and um, 
what's cuz name the dude uh the other white rapper like these kids Back that home. are white rappers mm -hmm. gucci gang what's the gucci gang kids um, name? Lil Pump, Pump yeah. yeah. Like, they have no idea. Maybe Post Malone does. I don't know these kids. Maybe they do, but mm -hmm. it was a lot harder to be a white rapper when we were coming up, especially mm -hmm. in Brooklyn or Oakland. Like, Grouch mm -hmm. went through a lot. People used to throw pennies at him just because he was white. Right. Like, it was just right. like, boo you off stage, fuck right. you, the devil, white man is the devil. Right, right. Like, you know, LP came up in the Black Watch era, and I think he fucked with some of those dudes. Like, he did. He made his name and mark, and he didn't compromise. He wasn't out there trying to be black. Yeah, no. And the productor like, was like, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a white kid from Brooklyn. You know, and I'm like, this is what white kids from Brooklyn who went to that hip hop shit, this is what we do. You know, it was just very refreshing. Yeah, and I was like, yo, like, he paved the way. And I, that's an untold documentary that needs mm -hmm. to get made. Like, the, the the white rapper struggle, like, that was that was a search. <laughs> like, and now kids search just... Search with, with a game show. <laughs> that's kind of like the only thing that, not the only thing, but one of the things that, like, white people are not, like, dominant on. And they actually have to, like, work extra hard yeah. like we have to do and everything else to be considered good and but, they used to they don't have to anymore right. because of because of people like lp and, 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 m. And, and m and beastie boys but i will say like even eminem you know on the song um white america he he he, he says if i was black i would have sold half so it's like yeah you have to there's an extra layer of bullshit you got to go through as a white mc coming up people gonna make fun of you because your skin color becomes the target immediately so you have to be really really nice to even, you have to be good at your craft, right? Yeah. And you have to be down by law and you have to know the codes. We had evidence on a couple of weeks ago. Oh, he's great. And um, he was talking about, he learned certain codes from Rocker and from Be Real and those, those are his OGs. You, know, you have to have those relationships, you have to have the certain proximity. But once you get into the space where you're competing, then you become Eminem. You know what I'm saying? Then, yeah. you, then, then you become the highest selling rapper of all time. Before Eminem, the highest selling rapper of all time was Vanilla Ice. Before him, it was Beastie Boys. And yeah. you know, you speak about the underground space, and that space is still the same thing, but just on the underground. underground yeah. You know, so it's like in the culture where if hip hop wears fair, it's a reverse thing where white kids got to have it harder. But once you start, once you yeah, get, once you get out the street, I always say like their rocket ship. Yeah has trouble getting off the ground, but yeah. it's not built for the strat. Once it gets to the stratosphere, right. it's gone. Same Once Jay-Z gets to the stratosphere, yeah. he'll float around like yeah. this. He'll float around three million, four million. DMX yeah. will float around there. But Eminem and certain other yeah, white rappers- Yeah, for Macklemore for a year. Macklemore, yeah, they're yeah. built to go. Yeah. And it's not it's not their fault. It's the society, the same society that created hip hop. And mm -hmm. I don't take any away anything away from them because right. Macklemore's amazing. I, right. You know what I mean? I agree. You don't, get to, you don't get the career Eminem has or LP right. has by being trash. Or without mm -hmm. loving hip hop. That's for damn sure, because yeah. you would have hung it up along. It's yeah. a lot easier to be white in corporate America than it is to be white in hip-hop. And that's the only thing, because like, they're deciding to struggle a little bit more, because they could just walk into a corporate office, even though they still do get through a lot more doors easier than other rappers, but as far as like the respect level, and if you actually want to be respected, then you do have to do a lot more. Yeah, and then we're, I guess we're also like, what is it called? What are they, are we... Um, are we adopting their struggle? I I can't speak to your struggle, mm -hmm. LP and all my white. I, forgive me if I'm <laughs> right. speaking out of turn. Right. I don't want to. I don't want to be out of pocket. Right, but you're you're observing. Yeah, this is just my observation. It, right. It's not the fucking truth. I'm um, speaking of LP and and all the groups. You so many groups. Living Legends, um, Felt, uh, Melancholy Gypsies. All these groups. I've heard you speak on. You feel like people sometimes are not so much a fan of you, but more fan of the people that you're adjacent to. Yeah. Do you still feel like that? Yeah, I think that I have I have a lot of it's like I said before, I'm I'm the I'm the black guy that fans of white rappers mm -hmm. dig. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like after a show Slug doesn't get when's the next Merce out when's the next felt album with Merce? Mm -hmm. But after every show, like I log on to Twitch 
And if you're if it's the first time you log in, when's mm -hmm. Felt Four coming out? I'm like, God <laughs> damn, bro! Like, can you go buy the 316 or something? Yeah, like now. Are you know? I rarely get. Are you gonna work with Ninth Wonder again? Right. When I do, I get a good response, mm -hmm. but. It's never that. The questions I get at the merch booth or when people see me like, mm -hmm. oh, man, I love it when you work with Living Legends, meaning Grouch and Eli. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's interesting. You know, they're not asking like, well, when are you getting together with Mystic Journeyman or mm -hmm. Picasso or, or Black Aesop? Like, is, when are you working with Grouch again? Have you talked to Atmosphere lately? Mm -hmm. Oh, what's up with Def Jux? What's up with Aesop Rock? And I'm like, yo, mm -hmm. um, it says a lot. And, 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 and it's even from It does. My, it, it says a lot about the consumption of hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I yeah so I still I still think that's but I'm not complaining I like my job you know mm -hmm. it feeds it feeds my family and uh, yeah it's just weird man but yeah. I, I still feel that way. I was yeah. just wondering like how do you feel when someone's saying something like that to you and they're not just like oh great job on your what you just I mean I, I tell you I used to tell you personal but I'm not I, you could be saying nothing to me you know mm -hmm. <laughs> the fact that you're saying anything to me right. is great like great thank you right and uh you know no I always tell them never um pre uh, pre living legends pre you know, around I guess I guess '95 was Project Blowed a thing in '95. Oh yeah. All right, so Just around started. around Project Blowed era, I um, I saw what was going on on the West Coast. I was a huge fan of Freestyle Fellowship. Matter of fact, to take it even back further, Mike and Nine got a deal on Capital and moved into my neighborhood and moved down the street with me. And my man ran into him at the bodega buying a, a Dutch master and brought him <laughs> over my house and we freestyled for four hours. Like that's I, how he was managed by Kedar Massenburg. Yeah, yeah, Kedar had him, yeah. Yeah, Micah, Micah moved into my house because he liked our vibe so much. Kedar came to my house <laughs> beefing and woofing, talking about <laughs> Micah can't live here. You know what I'm saying? Like that's how I met Kedar on my steps. Wow. Um, but you, I've heard you mention Freestyle Fellowship is an influence of you. Heck yeah. Ice Cube, that's one of my earliest influences. Um, on the East Coast, I'm looking at the West Coast, I'm looking at... I'm really excited about uh, the Bay Area, about Souls of Mischief and uh, Hobo Junction and them. I'm excited about the good life. So I took a, a bus wow. from New York to California. To the Bay? Yeah, to, to, I, I got to the Bay. I got. I went to L.A. first. Oh, wow. And I went, I went to the good life. And I oh, went, you went with, to the good life. Yeah, I went with Micah and AC. And, um, you know, back then, at the good life, that night, I met Tom and Corey from... Mystic Journeyman. Journeyman. Wow. And this was Mystic Journeyman was just getting off the ground. They was like, yo, come to the Bay. If you come to the Bay, we'll take care of you. So I hitchhiked to the Bay Area. What? I stayed at their crib in Oakland. Um, they had nothing in the crib besides Top Ramen. That's it. There was literally nothing in the crib. No, no place to sit. No nothing. Just a bunch of fucking ramen. That's all you need. That's all they needed, right? Then they was like, okay, we're going to go sell our CDs, which was, as a kid from New York, my experience was you take a demo tape, you're walking around to the labels. Mystic Journeyman, we were like, we have CDs. They took me to Leopold's and Who Riders was outside. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then I met Safir. I met Who Riders. King San took me to meet Safir. Ended up staying at Safir House that night. Um, but that's my Mystic Journeyman story. Like, yeah. what's your Mystic Journeyman story? How did, the, how did that become Living it's Legends? A, I tried to come up with a, a, a short version. Okay. But, um, I've doing I've been doing a lot of self discovery lately at 41, mm -hmm. um, but um, at this point in my life I I, w I was smoking weed and selling weed since I was 12. Mm -hmm. Damn, um, another one. <laughs> oh, sorry, we just had Ti. Yeah, started. Ti was telling us his whole weed grade. operation. Six yeah, so like I used to steal mm -hmm. my step pops weed. He was a street dude and sell it to. But back then, punk rock kids. You mm -hmm. know, I was living in a white neighborhood and punk rock kids bought it, and uh, I learned slowly. Then when I moved back to L.A. Mm -hmm. Shortly after that, I started. I kept selling weed, but then I started smoking it, mm -hmm. and it was only in the in the valley where there's white kids. Is hardcore punk rockers smoke mm -hmm. weed, and hardcore gangbangers smoke right. weed. 
So the OG, like, hardcore crip dudes in my neighborhood smoke weed. And so I would smoke with the, my homeboy, um, ah, man, why can't I think of his name right now? Um, let's just say Brian, because I don't know who he was. Okay. I'm fucking, it was like, the names have been yeah, changed no, to no. protect the guilty. He's not here anymore, so <laughs> Kevin, rest in peace. So Kevin All was right. smoking weed, and Kevin lived on my street, mm-hmm. and we both didn't go to school, but for different reasons. He mm-hmm. was gangbanging, and I was rapping. and I was, So I was smoking weed with him every day, and my mom was threatening to kick me. She says I chose to leave, but my mom, if you keep rapping and not going to school, you can't live here. You don't, If you stay at the studio at 3 in the morning, you can't live here. I'm 14. Mm-hmm. I was working the guest list at Unity and like mm-hmm. promoting oh, Wu-Tang. R.I.P. Bigger B. Yeah, Bigger B, R.I.P., like, you know, working for Orlando. I was running around. And my mom didn't believe that that's what I was really doing. But mm-hmm. I was, you know, so I smoked weed with him. And he's like, yeah, your mama going to kick you out? Hey, cuz, you, um, you should live with my brother, Tommy. He do that weirdo shit you do, cuz. <laughs> he up in the Bay, man. You could just go there. And he's he tell me, they got a warehouse. They got all this top ramen, cuz. Mm-hmm. You could just, and I'm like, right. whatever. <laughs> all this top ramen. Top yeah. ramen yeah. is a freaking, like, and I was like, all right, so mystical journeyman. Top ramen you know, is how I'm coming. Common. Yeah, shout out to Shaq G. <laughs> and uh, I was like, all right, man, well. Whatever. And I mm-hmm. heard Mystic Journeyman and I heard a song called Swing and I was like, mm-hmm. eh, I don't know. And these sound like some weirdo niggas. Like once again, they sound like conscious rappers. Like, right. like I grew up with Crips, like I'm right. Like I heard Nipsey say, and I have said this to people, like, and this is a sidebar, but before I I just did the homework on myself, mm-hmm. but I was cause I'm, I, my wife is Brazilian now, mm-hmm. my second marriage, and uh mm-hmm. sometimes I go off, I'm like, hey cuz, and she'd be like, Why do you talk like <laughs> why get mad? You know? And so I had to ask myself, like, why do I revert to that? Like, I'm mm-hmm. pro-black. I'm not gangbanger. Right. But I thought about it. Before I decided, the, the knew I was black, before I knew I was heterosexual, before I knew I was a Dodger fan, mm-hmm. I knew I was a Crip. Mm. The first man I ever looked up to not having a mother was o, my, the OG Fester from Neighborhood Crip in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's in me to, to the core of who I am. And I'm working on deconstructing that. Mm-hmm. So when I heard Mystic Journeyman, I was like, oh, cuz this is some weird old nigga. But I'm a weird right. old nigga myself, but it's right. just like, ah. Right. I don't surround I didn't smoke weed with Rastas. I didn't smoke weed with 5%. I smoked mm-hmm. weed with Crips. Like, mm-hmm. that's, and that's who I sold weed to. So, but mm-hmm. I wasn't one, this is, I was just weird because, like, let him ride a okay. skateboard and rollerblades. I have a, um, a quick question if, before you go too far. You said uh, that you're pro black or whatever, not a Crip. You don't feel like you could be a gangbanger and pro black? I feel like I tried to talk to brothers about that. And I'm, I think, yes, if we evolve to that point. I was telling a young man, he's a, he's a rapper and he's a blood, and I was like, do you ever think we'll be to the point where we can say blood, cuz, and, and blood to each other? Mm-hmm. Like New Yorkers say, what's up, son, or what's up, God? What's, mm-hmm. You know, and there's no beef. And there was a time when the Ansar Allah community and the five percenters didn't get along, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that what I've learned from gang culture and being around Crips my whole life is there's a lot of positives and there's a lot of negatives. So I say, um, you can't be pro-black and be an active crip because you're killing you're other black b- mm-hmm. other black men. Right. But you can take the principles and values and we can decide to... The structure. Yeah, and we don't have to unify with everybody we have beef with. We can just decide to stop killing each other. Right. And build within our own community. If you only build within the rolling 60s neighborhood or the Manfield gangster crip neighborhood, that's cool with me. As long as you're not killing anyone else. If you don't want to do mm-hmm. business with your rival crip gang, I'm not against, but I'm against us. What says that we still have to kill each other? We don't have right. to like each other. Like, there's Dodger fans that don't like San Francisco Giants fans. And they might scrap a little bit and, of course, you know, maybe <laughs> somebody gets shot occasionally. But mm-hmm. we got to, you know, start, we got to move out of that. Incorporate our neighborhoods, you know. Grape, shit should be in, yeah. Grape Street should be incorporated. Yeah. Bounty Hunter Watch should be incorporated. And, and, and the OG members of that should have shares in that thing. Because yeah. if you put out, uh, Nipsey proved it to us. If he you did. put out a Bounty Hunters t-shirt, mm-hmm. you could sell those in Japan. And the hood should get money because right now the, everyone is profiting off of gang culture. Oh yes, 
except for the motherfuckers that like it's kind of like weed. And then how it go? Yeah, yeah. So I'm on some like legalized gangbanging shit. Like mm. let's make this. Yeah, Microsoft and, and Google don't fuck with each other, and that's cool. But yeah. they're not killing each other in the streets. I'm not. I'm not one of these people because if you're from outside the community, a lot of people try to come in and say, "Oh, Bloods and Crips need to fuck all that." It's too much blood spill. It's never gonna be that. It's 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 a blood feud at this mm -hmm. point. Right. But that we can goes come generations to a, back. Yeah, we can right. come to a ceasefire. I'm not gonna look at nobody from any gang and tell them, "Hey, you should forget those niggas or fuck that." You don't right. gotta do that. But if I can ask you, please, is can we get some money right quick mm -hmm. and can we build a future for our children? And hey, we don't we don't like those guys over there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we go to this school, we do this, we shop here, and we do this. That's fine. And over generations, eventually mm -hmm. that will ease. As we right. pass away, so will the anger and so will the animosity and so will the, you know, the mm -hmm. vendettas. Yeah. But and, let it die down. Ahead, and like gangbangers, I was just having this conversation. Like, if you're running a gang, if you're running a drug ring, you are a very intelligent person. You're very business Extremely. savvy. And you can, like, use that for good. Because I, I agree 100% with what you're saying. Because, uh, what is it? Uh, rivals, Lyft and Uber. Yeah. They're not working together, but they're each doing, you know, what they need to do, and yeah. they're making their money, and they're just rivals, but living, you living know, together. together. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, so the Mystic Journey story. So yeah. I was smoking weed with Kevin, <laughs> and uh, I like this. Kevin, uh, I went to a, I got bus to a school mm -hmm. that was in a rival neighborhood. And all the neighbor dudes from my neighborhood, the Crips dudes from my neighborhood, lifted weights in my backyard. Mm -hmm. My brother was down with them. I, I sold them weed. <laughs> right, right. They, we had, my mama's the mom that like mm -hmm. had snacks and everything. So mm -hmm. kids would come to our house. We lift weights. We play basketball. We hung out. And so I knew what went on. Somebody got killed in, by the, in the rival neighborhood. And mm -hmm. they all went to my school. And they're like, y'all niggas killed, blah, blah, blah. And they start, and I used to on trip. But they start, you know, there's derogatory terms you could use for. Right. The, and they kept, I was like, hey, my nigga, like, it ain't going to be too much more of that. Like, y'all know I live over there. Hey, fuck you too. And I'm like, whoa. And I was like, all right. So then I called Kevin. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I was like, y'all know I ain't with the bullshit. And I, was, and I was like, and what I was trying to do, I was like, I know my homies didn't kill. How you know? I was like, because they would have been celebrating it at my house. Because this is where they come after they do mm -hmm. dirt. Is unfortunately, mm -hmm. they come back and kick it at my house. So I'm telling you guys, as the same black man that's on both sides of the fence, we didn't do that. Mm -hmm. We don't like y'all niggas. My niggas don't like y'all niggas. Mm -hmm. But we didn't kill him. So y'all go find the real killers and lay off of them. Because mm -hmm. I don't want y'all coming to my neighborhood where my little brother's outside mm -hmm. trying to smoke us. Well, I'm telling y'all, we didn't do it. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we don't give a fuck, nigga, blah, blah. And then turned into something. But then Kevin came to my school and squashed it. Mm -hmm. And uh, then uh, I did get kicked out of my mom's house. Or I left my mom's mm -hmm. house. So I wasn't in my neighborhood. I was in Westchester. I was sleeping here, wherever I could. And I didn't see Kevin for a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day, his, his um, Tommy from Mystic Journey, mm -hmm. who he was talking about, his sister came by. He, she was friends with my brother. I said, hey, what's up with Kevin? And she just started crying and mm. ran home. And my brother said, you didn't know Kevin got smoked, Kev? Like, and I was like, damn. Mm. Mm. And uh, so a couple years passed, and I, there's more to the story. But mm -hmm. eventually, I ended up living with his brother, with Tommy, with Tommy, who was his next door neighbor, who he told me I'd be living with mm. years right. later. And it was like divine. Tommy invited me in his house and didn't even know me like that. Yeah, so I told when I met Tommy, we, was, we were in rival crews up in the Bay. Mm -hmm. And I said... And I, when I met Mystic Journey, I was like, oh, shit, these are some big-ass conscious rappers. Like, right. you know, they used to be swole. I was like, right. oh, shit, this is not no mystical journeyman. This is some buff-ass niggas. They about to fuck me up. <laughs> so I was like, hey, I was squashed the beef. I was like, hey, I know Kevin. You know Kevin? Mm -hmm. He's like, you knew Kevin? And I was like, yeah. And then it was like, oh, come to our house. Mm. Wow. And they took me on tour in Europe, and then they let me sleep in their house where there was nothing but top ramen. Right. 
And I slept, yeah, I slept on their floor and, yeah. and sold Hot tapes. Hot can be a gourmet meal, guys. You just got to add some no. sausage or some shrimp in yeah. there. You know. Yeah, if you could afford the sausage. If, listen, yeah. But sometimes true. I reminisce. You know, I'm not yeah. too big to go back. I, I eat Top Ramen to this day. My, to this uh, <laughs> day. It's got a lot of, to this day, it's got a lot of sodium day. in it, you know. Yeah, a lot of sodium. I don't really fuck with it that often. I'm but. talking mess, but I can't eat Top Ramen anymore because I was uh, very broke in high, uh, college, and that's literally. Yeah, too much? Oh, too much. Mm. I, I need a, little, a couple more years break. Couple, okay, a couple more years. Yeah. So you are, I consider myself, and I think the numbers reflect this, very prolific MC. Yeah. Like, I stay busy. Yeah, yeah. You are the rare MC that might have more <laughs> catalog than me. Your discography is so deep. Like, you know, uh, we've had rappers on the show before. I'm able to rattle off their projects. I can't do that with you. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> They'd be like, I'll finish rattle off the project. and be like, and on the next people's party. <laughs> right. Yeah, How man. do you maintain this energy and this passion? You've been at it for 25 years. Yeah, man, I, I love rapping, man. Mm -hmm. I uh... You know, and then I started festivals to try to not put out so much music. Did, did it work? It, you, yeah, still, nah, you still record I'm it? I still record it, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I just love meeting people and making music, man. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's something I learned from Mystic Journeyman. Like, you make 100 fans, but then also, like, your rent's not paid. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, so what do I do? Well, these 100 fans are waiting for something new. I can make that. And then it just kept growing on top of that. And I couldn't wait for... You know, oh, I got to wait for my new album. Mm -hmm. Right. I need to make a new album now because not only do my fans want it, I need that money for rent. You become a, a, a working class MC. Yeah, and that's I've been called a lot of things, mm -hmm. a backpacker, a conscious rapper, but Spin had something and it had a Venn, some type of diagram, and uh, I was in the blue collar rapper. And I was like, that's me. Me too. I'm, I'm in that. Like, I, you know, I, people have seen, I had records that did well on radio, but my bread and butter, and you got to know where your bread is buttered, right? My bread and butter <laughs> is being an on-the-road, working-class, blue-collar MC. And I know it because I see, you know, I go out to Europe often. I see Elder Sensei. I see J. Rue the Damager. Yeah. I be telling him I want the fucking expensive Japanese whiskey. And they be like, well, J. Rue said that he was good with the Jack Daniels. I'm like, I'm not J. Rue, nigga. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But, <laughs> but I wanted to be in 92. I did, man. Shout out to J. Rue. That's Come a good clean. friend. Very, very talented <laughs> MC and brother. Who, I, but I'm, I'm saying that because that's somebody. I look at Jay as somebody who I came in the game admiring, right? Yeah. Looking at his videos, and now I'm, I do the circuit with him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I travel. I go to a venue. I'm like Jay Rue was just here. Yeah. Or you know, uh, uh, atmosphere and them was just yeah. here. Yeah. Right? We need we need a union like a motherfucker. Yeah. Motherfuckers oh my God. can't be lowering the rider. We call that undercutters pizza. Man. Yeah. You can't be like. <laughs> Hey, well, up. you know, I'm not quality. I'll take the Jack Daniels. Like, <laughs> nah, man. We all need yeah. the same standard. Evidence be asking, for, he got atmosphere on his to be asking for avocados. And he said, that's a good thing because they're not available everywhere outside. Right. So if someone takes the time to get it's you an avocado. Test. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's smart, man. I learned from Dave Chappelle. What I asked for is, um, I asked for red lights in the dressing room. Mm. And I asked for... Um, uh, a, a box like to always make sure there's a stereo or a, a portable speaker and I know that the promoter took me seriously when I come in and the, and the dress room is lit red and the portable speaker's there I'm like okay. I'm gonna I'm do blue if that's alright oh, yeah, I'm getting me a light too make sure I have it staying, next episode staying with the neighborhood <laughs> <laughs> I find it um, interesting because um, I was having a conversation about making it and cause you know right now I guess I'll be considered an underground artist cause like, I'm not I'm underground comic oh, she does comedy I do okay. comedy but it's like... Um, You're funny, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, but no, it's like you have to decide what your definition of making it is or whatever because right now you're both... You're, you're making money through your craft. Mm -hmm. So it's like some people, you know, 
want to be a Jay-Z or Beyonce or something like that, but it's like, if you're actively working and producing music and be able to do what you want, then that's living the dream. Oh, that is success. That's the definition. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, I, le I learned that my, uh, I have a cousin, um, Ron Turner, his son is DJ Artistic, who does a lot of things. <gasps> I went to college with him. You went to fam? Yes, fam. You Yeah, my whole out. family. Hey. So my whole family okay. went to fam. So... Ron Turner. Words is connected with everybody. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> that's like one of my, we're, we're about to be back in Atlanta because it's Be Out Day weekend. Be Out? What is yeah, that? Yeah, so if you're in Atlanta, come to my show. Uh, yeah, it's at Relapse Theater. She Be Out. Uh, she be, be Out. Yeah, you made a record uh, celebrating LGBT community, yeah. and she said, I'm going to be out. Yes, I'd be out. Oh, okay. I'm, uh, yeah, I'd be out. She I'll just wanted to, yes, I'd be out. I'd be out the closet. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but that's not what Be Out Day is. It's oh, like no, just I'm being just... outside, but be I also be out too. I'm sorry for assuming. It, it's cool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Ron used to always ask me, because he's a jazz mm -hmm. drummer, mm -hmm. and uh, he's like, are you gigging? Mm -hmm. My grandfather wanted to know, like, how much money you making? I heard pay dues this ticket. What the, what's your sound scale? Like, my grandfather be mm -hmm. in my business. Did you invest in property? Are you blah, blah, blah? You need some help? Blah, blah, blah. Like, he wants to know my, my portfolio. Mm -hmm. Ron will always be like, you gigging? Right. Yeah. Then you making it. Then you good. Then he it. wouldn't ask mm -hmm. me too much. Then he, you know, because I want to get the game from him. He's been a jazz musician. Right. Speaking of the pay dues thing, um, I was on Rock the Bells for years. I think I must have did it every year. Yeah. But it got to a point where, and I don't know for me if it was like right before Kendrick was on the pay dues stage or after. And for, for context, Merce is a creator of the pay dues festival, very important hip hop festival. And y'all partnered with Rock the Bells at some point. Is that what it was? We were always partnered with Rock okay. the Bells. Okay, so it got to the point with me where it's like when Rock the Bells first started, I wanted to be on the main stage. Like, that's where I wanted to be because I'm like, yo, I've had a certain amount of no, uh, years in the game, certain amount of, you know, blood, sweat, and tears I put into this. Like, I want to be on the big stage and main stage. But then it was like all the heat is at the pay due stage. So I, I remember being like asking, like, I don't want to be on that stage. <laughs> I want to be on the pay due stage with the new artists because that's where everything is going down. Um, what inspired you to do that? Um, no one, except for Mystic Journeyman, but no one in L.A. Mm -hmm. ever looking out for me. Mm. Like, I, what, I, what I admire about your career and definitely envious of, but like I said, I've been working on myself, mm -hmm. is that Jay will shout you out. Mm -hmm. Shout Common out. Mm -hmm. Niggas on the West Coast never gave a fuck about conscious rappers. Mm. Snoop, mm -hmm. Snoop went to the good life, mm -hmm. but he didn't fuck with Freestyle Fellowship like mm -hmm. that. Dre knows of RBX, mm -hmm. I mean not RBX, um, Soft Jupiter, and you know what I mean, mm -hmm. like. Uh, yeah. But they never, they never fuck with the conscious niggas like mm -hmm. that. And also, a lot of it has to do with if you're still a conscious rapper or backpack rapper, you're still from a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So even when I was with Living Legends, there's rappers in the underground I didn't mess with. I was like, either you're from my neighborhood or you're in Living Legends, or we're not doing a song. Because mm -hmm. I just, I can't do that. Yeah, um, we had um, Razkaz on, and a question I posed to him is that is reminding me of something that you just said about there seemed to have been for a, a period of time in LA, the success of Dre and Ice Cube and Snoop and NWA and the uh, West Coast being associated with strictly gangster rap seemed from the outside looking in to cast a shadow and make it hard for not just a conscious rapper, but if you weren't a gangster rapper to break out and have your own thing. Razkaz said that's, that's true. Do you agree? Yeah, I think it made it hard. Mm -hmm. I think the gang culture makes it harder. So it's not so much... Dr. Dre and, and N.W.A. It's the gang culture. Yeah, it's like like because we we can't all fuck with each other. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like mm -hmm. at that time we couldn't. It just be it it could be bad. You right. know what I mean? And it just doesn't encourage. We're also not encouraged to cross boundaries. And there mm -hmm. was a boundary between backpack rap and gangster rap. Mm -hmm. 
And it's just a different style. As I grew up, I didn't resent it much. If, you're on, if you grew up in New York, you're in a train. Mm-hmm. You have somebody in your ear. You, you care about what they're saying a lot. Yeah, that's, if you're in the that's West a good Coast, point. You're in your low low and you want the bass. Oh, you don't really Ace. give a fuck what somebody's saying. Ace is a good example because yes. he came from Brooklyn and came to L.A. He was like, oh, I'm going to do these cheap-ass nigger records yeah. and these you know, low-rider records because that's what was cracking. Crack, yeah. yeah. So like, if you have Rakim in your ear, you mm-hmm. want him to be... Blah, 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 blah. And that's one of... Like, it's even Jay's lyric, like, who's the best MC, Biggie, Jay-Z, or Nas? And niggas in the projects in L.A., they don't give a fuck. <laughs> right. That's right. true. They're not, you know what I mean? Right. No one was like, oh, Cube coming harder over them, um, mm. over that Bomb Squad production. Yeah. Nigga, does it slap? Like, you know what I mean? Did you represent where you from? Did you talk about some bitches? Like, different motivation. Different. Different intention. So mm-hmm. we were trying to create, we were inspired. I was inspired by both. I grew up on Snoop. Mm-hmm. E-40 is my favorite rapper mm-hmm. of all time. DJ yeah. Quick is Shout out 40 Water. God to me, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But I love Wu-Tang, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And and I guess that's why I like Tupac so much because he's kind of the the mix of both. Yeah, he's born in New York, yeah. went to art school, cut his teeth in the Bay. Yeah, became a star in L.A. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so that was like, my, all, and that's why I love Pac so much because he's the embodied. I love Smith and Wesson, but I love the Dog Pound too. And Pac was trying to make that One Nation album before yeah, he died with them, with Smith and Wesson and Buckshot in them. And so I yeah. I just love I just so I was but the the, the OGs never looked out here. Mm. You'll never see. I never got Ice Cube like name dropping me in a song, mm-hmm. or I never got, you know, E Forty would name drop hieroglyphics and Souls of Mischief. Uh, he did that on Major Way, right? On some bass shit. Yeah, shout out to yeah. you know hieroglyphics, Casual Dale, the Souls and Opium. Like it was like, oh shit, but never once was it like, you know, Mac Ten. Like shout out to my nigga Merce. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Later on, Snoop gave me a thing. You know, a shout out. You know, mm-hmm. and y'all did, did y'all do a record? Yeah, yeah. we started bridging it, mm-hmm. but it's more of that's me. Like you said, like I've always been in the mix of like mm-hmm. I like everything. That's what paid dues was. I had to convince Chang. To be like, yo, we need Dog Pound, Raekwon, Cycle Realm, J Electronica, and E40 on this bill. Right. Because this is hip hop to me, it's everything. It's y'all, not... y'all put Odd Future on right before Dipset. Yeah, so that was me. Mm-hmm. I had to orchestrate the first time, year I had. So I was at the first Odd Future show ever. Mm-hmm. And that's like Kendrick Lamar's MySpace. Like, I was digging. Like, I'm an AR at heart. So I'm at the first Odd Future show, and like, everybody's cool with me. And I try to get Tyler to talk to Tyler. He wouldn't talk to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool, well, all right. So I put an offer in. And because I was mentored by Paul Tillette, who did uh, Coachella, mm-hmm. I was the only person that can, or me and Chang, through Chang, I was the only person that could break the radius clause of Coachella. Okay. If you play Coachella, you can't play anything in 100, I think 180 like miles. For two months? For six months before, six I months. mean, 60 days before, 60 right, days right, after. Yeah, two, mo- uh, two months, right. I'm the only person, I'm like, Paul, can we please have Aesop Rock? Because he's on your bill, but he's not. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And he's like, ah, go ahead. For pay dues, anything. I love you. Okay. First pay dues happened because of Paul T. Our venue canceled, and Paul T. from Golden Voice co-signed for us to get the mm. Shrine the Shrine Expo Hall. Okay. And they hadn't, they hadn't done shows there yet. We were the first show to break ground there. Okay. The first pay dues ever. It was almost canceled. Three days before, our venue was like, fuck yourself. Mm. Oh, yeah. so, so, so it was so... <laughs> I came, energy coming I came to Tyler, uh-huh. and I was like... Uh-huh. I, I came to their management, Clancy, whoever, and I was like, yo, y'all want to play pay dues? And they're like, nah, we don't want to play that shit. <laughs> we're playing Coachella. Right. We can't. And I was like, yes, you can if you want to. I can get you whatever they're paying you. I can pay you the same thing. And that's the only other check and you can give them. So you can double your money. Nah. Like, all right, and then it happened. They're like, Merce had bass guy on there. He thought it was some backpack shit because he thought it was some weirdo nigga. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. cool. Well, and the next year he's like, for sure. And I was like, cool. And then their manager was like, Tyler's a huge Dipset fan. I was like, tell him I got him. And because Odd Future also had crazy beef with motherfuckers, I was like, I'm gonna put Dipset's back trailer next to Odd Future's trailer and make sure Tyler gets to meet his hero. 
and make sure that happens for him. And, uh, you know, and yeah. it was like... Smart thinking. And then the rumor from there was, he said, oh, Merce has his own festival. I want my own festival. That's the, the I've story, heard that too. The story I get. And, and you've done his festival, right? Yeah, and that's all, he's one of the few people that have returned the favor. Mm. Like, I don't belong on Flognaw, but I've done it twice. Like, you know, so I'm so grateful to him for that. It's interesting that you say that um, about, just to talk about Tyler. Like, I've never met Tyler. Um, I, I'm a fan from a distance. Most deaf, Yasin Bey is a huge fan. Yeah. But he's said little things on the internet, like, like casually made made fun of me, like he will do with people, you know. And I've always been like, well, what 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 the fuck is that? But when you when you talk about how he how he felt about conscious rap, it makes sense. Yeah, you know, it makes sense because it's like same thing. With, you 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 were on overly dedicated, right? Yeah. Um, Kendrick on overly dedicated says, uh, you know, if you think I sound like common equality, ignorance is bliss. I think for a certain amount of for kids who are coming up under like. The same way we came up under like Poor Righteous Teachers or X-Clan, I was like, my blackness and the way I was dealing with it was different than theirs. I didn't right. want to wear it on the sleeve as much. And the way that I dealt with it is different than, you know, Kendrick or Odd Future. And then it's like, it's like, there's respect for what I do, but it's like, it's like a thing like, I'm not trying to be pigeonholed as this conscious MC. It was a real uh, sort of deliberate stance, yeah. I think, for a lot and of... And to get there, you had to distance yourself. Yeah. Yeah, he did some moral technique on, on Goblin. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, man, like, you know, what are you doing, bro? Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? But I, you know, I get it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said before, I, I, and I went to the and show. And it's, it's punk rock, it's rock and roll. It's like, yeah, and then when not Tyler, give a fuck. Yeah, Tyler mm -hmm. is a, it's a different generation, man. They are a different breed. Like, it's 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 a show. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? He's entertaining. You know what I mean? I don't think. I was thoroughly entertained by his Funk Master Flex interview. Yeah, oh, I don't yeah. think <laughs> that he is, um, not that he's not to be taken seriously. He's mm -hmm. not. He's an artist. He's a true artist. If Andy, I feel like if Andy Warhol was black, it'd be mm -hmm. something like Tyler. You know what I mean? And I love that there's space for him now. Mm -hmm. There wasn't space for me to be that. Right. And that's why I started Pay Dues, to right. give space to these young men. You know, that was, I think that was Kendrick's first festival. Mm -hmm. That was like Odd Future's second or third festival. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That was the first, that was Black Hippie's first festival. Mm -hmm. That was Dom's first festival. That was Nipsey's first festival. I remember festival. it was billed as Black Hippie. Yeah. Which was important for me because I like, I, I saw where Kendrick was going, but I also liked what Schoolboy was doing and Absol and him. I, I liked the fact, I was like, that felt like Native Tongues to me. When I saw Black Hippie perform, when Kendrick had just dropped that, uh, uh, the, the Poe Up drank, when that shit yeah, first yeah. dropped and they, they, they had to, it, I was like, that's that's like Native Tongues. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a dope thing, mm -hmm. man. I like, you know, and there's so many other kids, like there's Curtis King, Noah James, mm -hmm. people people never heard of mm -hmm. yet, you know, mm -hmm. that I loved giving an opportunity to, being part of their journey. Like, I don't, and it's been misconstrued, man. I don't think that I, I everybody in the, on this on this side would be where, who they are without me, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I think I gave some momentum to the West Coast movement by doing that because my OGs didn't do it for me. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, the people in the backpack scene before mm -hmm. didn't look out for me. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if there was enough to share. You know what I mean? There was, right, right. I don't know what it was, but I just knew that when I got something, when I signed the Warner Brothers, I was like, oh, I'm stepping out of the underground. Now, you and me were signed to Warner Brothers around the same time. Yeah. Um, that experience was, I had a negative experience there. So did J-Rock. How was your experience? <laughs> My experience was cool, man. Mm -hmm. But I, I specifically told them to keep me out of the black music department. Okay. Because you know where I know where my bread bread is buttered. Right. Like I always tell people too, like a lot of my co like constituents or like colleagues would be like, Man, there's not no niggas at my show, man. Mm -hmm. I don't wanna rap. I was like, Man, I'm really from the hood. I'll rap for 
whoever, whatever. Right. And now I know who it is. I'm going after them. Right. I'm a service my 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 listening community. My, mm-hmm. And then I can service my black community by doing things or like pay dues or being able to have money to spend in my community. If that means I go to work and I rap for white people, as long as they show me respect, mm-hmm. I don't care. And uh, I just I so when I got to Warner Brothers, I wasn't really in that mix mm-hmm. of of a lot like with Wiz was there. Mm-hmm. Like, Wiz was just there. starting. I always tell like I want to be with the against me mm-hmm. um, marketing director, and I had ties to the black music department, but I stayed out of there. And I overall I had a good experience until I think it was Leo or whoever came in. Todd Moskowitz came in and they fired everybody. Right. And that's when I was I just I was I'm done with the major label system, man. Like if if Leor can come in and fire Tom, who <laughs> literally started in the mailroom. Tom mail- Moskowitz and his ascots. Yeah, he, he <laughs> fired Tom Wally, who started in the mailroom of this mm-hmm. building and worked his way up. Mm-hmm. He signed Primus and Tupac and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And he could lose his job like that. Oh, man. Yeah. Because I was safe because I, I came in through Tom and his son, Ryan Wally. Shout out to them. Yeah. And they were always kind always to me. With always with Tom and Ryan as well. with me and like straight shooting with me. Never. I had little problems, but we would discuss it like mm-hmm. men, you know. I'd be like, yo, I'm wanting to go to radio. He's like, you're not ready to go to radio. Right. But I put it on my kids, you're going to go to radio. And he would say shit like that. I'm like, all Mm -hmm. right, we had a real conversation with the president of the company. So Mm -hmm. I never had a problem until one day I was told, like, your record shelf, Todd Moskowitz doesn't think you have a radio single. And I called Todd. I was like, what? Mm -hmm. I was like, we have a difference of fucking opinion, man. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that that got kind of crazy until they decided to let me go. And I was like, man, I, just let me out my contract. No, no. And I'm like, man, if you don't, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I was You free. got out. Yeah. Yeah, I asked, asked for a release for Warner Brothers as well. I did one album with them, the Reflection Eternal, the second album. And a month into that one, I was like, y'all have to let me go. Mm. While we were promoting the album. It's like, I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. And I went and I started fucking with, I drew high on them and did a project with them. Man, um, but that's when guys. I went independent. I went and I, I I was supported by the major label system. We started with Raucous, but then I got Raucous got uh, sold their shares to somebody else, and I was in in the major label system up until that moment, up until Warner Brothers, and I was like, Nah, man, I need that's to go back moment. independent. Merz, were you independent in 2012? You did the Animal Style, correct? Yeah, I was with I was with Dame. I think that that was so. I, first of all, I don't know. Like, if you were with the label, I feel like it'd probably be a little bit more. Uh, push back to you. Give us context for the record. Oh, Animal Style. Okay, (laughs) I'm sorry. I saw the video today and I'm like, how have I not seen this? Mm -hmm. But uh, it's pretty much a story about uh, a gay black guy who, you know, didn't know how to deal with his sexuality. Played by Merce. Played by Merce with Mm -hmm. no dreads or facial hair. (laughs) And you kiss someone and kiss a guy in the movie and in a rap culture in 2012, that's already a big thing. Oh, yeah. Everything was pause. No homo pause. Yeah. No homo culture. Yeah. Oh, no homo culture. Oh, yeah. okay. I was super gay in 2012, so I didn't know. <laughs> like, She's like, what are your oldest like, no homo years. shit you talking about? <laughs> but oh. no, like, I just think that, like, you know, the fact that you were independent, you were able to put that powerful piece out because there's so many people that could watch that. And number one, I loved the storytelling because you don't see that in a lot of uh, rap artists now. Yeah, I think it was... Uh... Shout out to Dame Dash for um, being behind me. He was like, yeah, nigga, you want to kiss a nigga? Go ahead, man. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, prepare to blow up. Because the myth is, you, you know, you go gay, the Illuminati accepts uh-huh. that as a sacrifice. Because apparently, that's why I don't, and that's why I don't consider myself a conscious. A lot of these conscious rap motherfuckers will tell you, or a lot of conscious black mm-hmm. men will tell you, What's the worst thing, the, mo- the biggest danger in the black community is the feminizing of the black man. I'm like, yep, you don't I've shut heard that. the fuck up, man. That's some nonsense. I'm like, yo, bro, mm-hmm. like, it's not us killing each other. 
is it, it can possibly be that mm-hmm. it, you know even the police it couldn't be the unjust criminal system like yeah it's not the, the women. number one threat in the it's black the community gay dudes. is gay yes yeah, the motherfuckers yeah. like dick that's, that's fucking that's ridiculous the, so if everybody stopped liking mm-hmm. dick we be straight mm-hmm. all right right yeah. You know, then you tell a nigga like he was born, he chose to be gay. Then when did you choose to be straight, nigga? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and I used to think that like I me would, too. I grew up homophobic just from it, living in America, bro. And I and until I until I and yeah, met someone close to me that was mm-hmm. born that way. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh shit, I've known you. I knew you were gay before you knew you were gay. Mm-hmm. And everyone around you hates gay people, so it's not influence. Mm-hmm. Like no, like it's a hard thing to do. People don't realize, like, it's not easy to be gay. Even if you're a woman, like, you know, like, when I came out to my family or whatever, it was, like, a big thing. They weren't, like, you know, oh, I, you're disowned from the family or anything, mm-hmm. but they're, like, you know, making jokes that are not really jokes or, like, my mom saying, oh, but I wanted you to have kids. And I'm, like, you can still have kids. Like, it's yeah, just, like... I bought like, one. No one... You bought one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Context. Merce adopted a child. I figured. Which is a very admirable thing to do. I don't know why he put it that way. I bought one. Because you got to pay for them. I was gonna ask you about that, but I'm glad you you you, you came up with it. Yeah, tell them. But ahead. yeah, it's not easy to be gay in America. It's not whether you're black, white, whoever. It's not easy to go down the street and hold your girlfriend's hand or hold your boyfriend's hand. Most people would not choose that lifestyle. Like it's not for popularity or for attention more times than not. Like, and I don't get why people don't understand it. That's why I was like really touched by watching that. Yeah. Video. So when I did the video, mm. the guy who I was who played my boyfriend. Was was an openly gay male, and he was the the best lightweight boxer in Tucson. Mm-hmm. And uh, his story is crazy. But as we did the scenes, and I would like hold him, he'd sit between my legs, or we'd hold hands. And people were grabbing their children, and mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I, the, I was like, "This is how you live, bro. Like this is your life." Mm-hmm. I was like, "You know those TV wow, shows." So you had to put literally put yourself in them the shoes yeah, to see that. And I was like, "Man, mm-hmm. this is fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like your life every day." And he's like, "Bro, like you don't." When I go to the bar. He's like, I get fucked with going to gay bars. Mm. I have to knock someone out. And he's like, it's a hassle for him because he can fight. So he's mm-hmm. like, you know, he's like, I have to tell dudes, I fuck men tougher than you. You better come back. <laughs> and, he's, and they're like, what? And of course, that just riles him up more. And they hit him and he just, pow. And I'm right. like, he's telling me all these stories. And then I was just like, man, this is crazy. And, uh, and another thing, too, about being born that way is like, no, this is like, I was like, yeah. So I told my wife at the time, I was like, are you okay with this? Mm-hmm. And she's like, sure. And I was like, okay, like, I'm going to go full. I'm going to tongue this nigga down. Because <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I'm like the jackass of Michael. I'll jump right. off a second. Somebody like, $25, Merch, do a backflip off this back, you know, of this two story mm-hmm. building. I've done it. Like, right. I'm that guy. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to watch. Okay. And I was like, y'all got the camera set up? Cool. Let's just get this angle. Then we'll switch. And then I'll grab him. And right. I did it. I kissed him once. And it just felt like, nah. Oh, okay. I thought right. you were about to so say you, you, you knew inside. I was like, yo, this is crazy. Like, I want to. Like, You you was all in for the shenanigans. And I, and I was even more yeah. proof that, like, it is not a choice, bro. No, you right. don't know till you know. Like, I'm choosing to kiss this man right now, and it just not, it's not me. Mm. I've been with him all day. I understand his struggle. I want to help him make this point. I was like, but I couldn't do this if you paid. Literally, I'm paying for this. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it if you paid me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just weird to me. Mm. And, and I was like, this is just more proof that these are... It's not a. It's not your sexual preference. It's not right. a fucking preference. Right. For some people, it's not, it is. It's they're, not they're choosing an alternative lifestyle. Yeah. Like yeah. the way we word it, the way it just is what it is, and uh, is 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 yeah, man. It was I it do, was experience doing that. But I do think that because you know I have uh, I have a lot of sh- straight friends, whatever, and we like have conversations, whatever, because we were ta- you were just talking about uh, how like conscious people are like oh the feminization of black men or whatever. I think that it's more so that 
they push that narrative on TV because it's like, oh, we want money or whatever. So they're always showing, they're showing a lot of times black gay men or whatever, and they're always showing that, oh, black men aren't there for their families, mm -hmm. and they're putting that uh, narrative that, you know, oh, they're always, black people are always single and stuff like that. So I think right. that's more of the issue or whatever because gayness should be normal. We shouldn't even need to have a pride or whatever. Like, it should mm -hmm. be just a, a regular everyday life. Like, who cares who you're in the bedroom with? Yeah. But, you know, the media and stuff like that is really um, I, behind it. I think that um, what you said is very important about, you know, the C, uh, CDC did a study that shatters the idea that uh, black father fatherlessness is a problem, more of a problem in the black community than in white communities. What's happening is people are not getting married as much, mm -hmm. but fathers are, and there's been studies done, I can't rattle them off the top of my head, to show that black fathers in a lot of ways are more involved in the lives of their children. Um, and, you know, that's just the same way we talk about black on black crime. Mm -hmm. um, that's, those things are put out there uh, to, in my opinion, serve as white supremacy. By the media. Yeah, I feel, I feel like every, like, I feel like the idea, like, misogyny services white supremacy. Mm -hmm. uh, being anti-gay services white supremacy. And so you have people in the hood, black people who are conscious, hotep, or whatever you want to call them, who really do, I think, care about the community and passionate about blackness and have been tricked into believing that the best way to do that is to be, over, to overly assert your manhood mm -hmm. um, because you're taught that Pussy is weak. You're taught that being a, a gay punk is weak. And the worst thing you could be in a society that preys on your weakness is weak. So you move, you, you, you say them niggas is pussy. You know what I'm saying? You use gay as like, and everybody does it across society. Yeah. Everybody does it. But our, in our community, the stakes is raised mm -hmm. to the point where it's like, is, is, it becomes so dangerous in the mind of someone who feels like they, everything in society is against them, becomes so dangerous to be seen as soft that you end up becoming a danger to gay people just because you mm. feel like you want to protect yourself. It's so funny that you say that because uh, Morris keeps talking about uh, how now it's like a platform for you to be a weirdo or whatever, or like for black people, like, cause there's so many different types of black people. And like what you were just saying, like you would be like on jackass type vibe, yeah. jumping off and stuff yeah. like that. But in the black community, that's not encouraged. Whereas like, you know, you could have two white boys, they could just come and grab someone's dick or whatever, and it's not considered gay. But in the black community, you do that, you're like, oh man, you gay, da, da, da. like that you can't be in touch with your, your, you know what I'm saying? Whatever, just having fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't, like I remember we used to like grab each other's titty and like, let ya, and like, like sit like that. And I had a whole me. And we would say that. We would say that. It was ridiculous. We would do that. Like, and, hey, stop playing, cuz. Like, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And one of the little homies got locked up and he came home and I tried to do that. Hey, cuz, don't sex play me, my nigga. And I'm like, whoa. Mm -hmm. Like, nigga, we were just doing this shit two we years ago. We playing by jail rules now. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole that's a whole nother mm -hmm. thing that factors in. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yo, like, I don't. I'm right. I, I'm, but what did DMX say? All my niggas have been to jail before, suck my dick. That line was like, I'm trying to be as disrespectful as possible. If you've been to jail, you know what that means. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, and then that's when I got like, I don't know what you've been through. So I like, I was like, okay, like, mm -hmm. whoa, like you've never turned it up on me like that before. But mm -hmm. all right, like, who knows, man? And mm -hmm. fortunately, unfortunately, I I don't know, right. you know. But the narrative is changing now because like you see like all these uh, different things that say like, oh, hug your black son, like make sure they know that, that you know you can be sensitive, you can be in touch with your feelings, you can cry, it's okay, like. Yeah, when he's crying, you can't say "stop being a little girl." Or... Yeah. Now you, which, which, that, yeah, you're right. With you, with your music, I've always struggled with storytelling. I have storytelling raps, 
but I struggled to write them. It was like, I need to, I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna be Biggie Smalls, I'm gonna be Slick Rick, I'm gonna tell a story. <laughs> it's way more easy for me to do non sequitur stuff about how great of an MC I am or killing all these rappers and, or I could go into social justice very easily. I could talk about love and women and relationship very easily, but it comes to telling a story. I have to challenge myself. I feel like for you, that's more of a natural, natural yeah. inclination. Um, and with your stories, with this song, Animal Style, and with, with other songs, like a song by by you that's really, really touched me is Melancholy. And it's not, maybe it's, I guess a story, story type, but it's more dealing with what you just talked about. There's things that are taboo for us to talk to our sons about, in particular. Right. Um, depression, yeah. anxiety. Um, where do you think you get the strength and the courage because it's courageous to talk about things that are very personal. Um, because I, I feel like people need to hear why you do it because it's so important mm -hmm. to people who might be gay or people who might be going through depression or anxiety. I feel like you were early dealing with these things. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's weird. I want to do something that's more universal. But for me personally, it's like, one, my mother loved me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And even when she did, we disagreed with one another about where I was going, I told her I was going to be a rapper or be mm -hmm. in the music industry. She didn't believe me. But um, she loved me regardless. Mm -hmm. And I knew that, you know, it doesn't matter. My mm -hmm. family loves me. I have right. deep, deep family roots that love me, and I have people that love me regardless. Of, as long as I'm not doing anything ignorant, mm -hmm. they're proud of me. And even mm -hmm. if I do something ignorant, they love me. Mm -hmm. So I had that. And then also coming from gang culture, like being in, in a crip neighborhood or whatever, the people like I said, the people I looked up to when I was younger, like mm -hmm. you wear your blue rag and you don't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. Like you're ready to die for that shit. So I'm like, well, anything I believe, you know, especially if it's nothing that's wrong, mm -hmm. why wouldn't I be? What do I gotta hide shit for? Like, what am I scared of? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I know that we disagree on that, but like that's what also corporal punishment as a child taught me. Mm -hmm. Like my mom was like, I'll whip you if you're gonna lie to me. Mm -hmm. Tell me the truth and you'll get grounded. Mm -hmm. So it was, there was very important, and it's all right, well, and then once I got out of the house and I, no one could whoop me, I'm like, what the fuck are you about to do to me? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can't whoop my ass without me whooping your ass first, mm -hmm. so like, I'm going to say whatever I want, especially if it's right. And I just always had that in me, and I think that going up in, like, gang culture is like being down for your shit. Right. And I've always been, and my shit is anxiety, my mm -hmm. shit is my depression, my shit is, I think that I used to use the F word and be homophobic, and mm -hmm. now I know better, and I'm not just going to apologize for it, I'm going to make a open statement to let everyone know. An artistic, beautiful wow. statement. Yeah, and right. I got I got X'd out of a lot. There's rappers that won't talk to me anymore, and I can see in 2012, like, there's people, but none of them were man enough to say anything to my face. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. But I know why. I was like, there's no other reason. You used to call me every day, and we used to, you not every day, but you used to call me often and want our kids to hang out. But now that I'm not a homophobe, and I'm, I'm you know. Mm -hmm. they, now that, right. Now that you're actively compassionate, yeah. It becomes a problem for some yeah. people. Yeah, and I was like, wow, that's really, like, cowardly. So, for me, I just, I've you know, whether it's gang, right. but gang culture or my mother and a lot of reasons, it put me in a place where I was like, yo, I don't get, like, what can you do to me? And so, like, mm -hmm. and I think, and I think there's people, like, when I did Melancholy, it was, I released it, I think, December 21st, and my label's like, the industry's sleep, you know the story, like, yeah. no, don't fourth release quarter, anything, right. fourth quarter, blah, blah. And I was like, but... This is the time where people are the most depressed. People commit suicide on Christmas Day yeah, more than any other day, right? And I was like, this song needs to be heard right now. Mm -hmm. Like, I just buried my child. I'm going through, you know, I just finished my divorce. Like, I've gone through two years of extreme depression and bullshit. Mm -hmm. This song speaks to that. And I know that there's people who haven't been through the exact same thing but are feeling really bad, especially right now. Mm -hmm. I don't give a fuck about if this makes the blogs. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, let's put this out. Right. Uh 
most artists suffer through depression, and I feel like that's really kind of what makes us so amazing to be able to like dive deep in ourselves and take out you know all of that pain and make art with it. But what what things are you doing right now that you know if you're feeling depressed or you're having anxiety? Like, what are some things that you do that you can share with others? Man, I I always go back to for me personally, it's like. Am I drinking too much? Because mm -hmm. I learned in, in group therapy, which was hard for me to go to, but I went, like, and just to my therapist in general, but, like, alcohol the day after, your, your, you know, your serotonin levels are low. Like, am I exercising? Like, those are things that really help me. My diet, mm -hmm. not drinking, and, caf like, not doing caffeine. Like, that's why I brought, I had, like, little E3 Live. Like, things I can do that aren't caffeine, that aren't going to make me crash. Because you don't realize, or sh too much sugar. And, like, mm -hmm. for me, those, I can't stop me, you know, feeling blue, but am I doing things would put me deeper in my rut and so that's a, that's the first thing i look like have i exercised this week do i need to put my kid mm -hmm. i put my kid in the, the back and we go riding around inglewood and on my bike and i'm like all right Aww. cool this gets me out i get to see things and i'm in my space and it's me, me doing something with my son i kind of that'll elevate me or you know mm -hmm. i watch american ninja warrior that helps like because <laughs> there's always some story like he had one leg and then he grew right. it back and then he ran the course and he won and he hit the buzzer i'm like oh god <laughs> and it like it's something That's to dope. like distract me, you That's know dope. what I mean? Um, I am somebody if I, if I have depression issues or anxiety issues, which I'm sure every human being has some, I've never dealt with them. Oh. I've never went to a doctor and had spoke to nobody about it. I've never medicated, taken a pill, so it's not something that I relate to on that level. But as I grow older, it's something that I've been maybe um, callous about. You know, I think that the society is like, oh, there's something wrong with you. And I feel like I've been in that space before. But as you grow older, I have people in my life who have depression issues and anxiety issues. And the way I've dealt with them, not knowing sort of the science behind it or not knowing what they're really going through has been callous as, at times. And I've had to, like, grow and change and be like, oh, what you're going through is anxiety or depression. And you're not just being a dick mm -hmm. or it has nothing to do with me. Um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, but that's most problems. You always have to think when someone's acting a certain way mm -hmm. to you that's like oh that's a you problem but i've had to learn how to do that do you have advice for people who may be like how i've been in the past who are not very um warm or compassionate because they don't we don't really understand what it is that you're going through that is a real medical real issue that needs to be dealt with yeah i mean i, I think it's always just to give people space and like she said like not to take things personal i mm -hmm. believe that's one of the four agreements with don miguel ruiz yeah, like, it's a great book yeah so my bookstore qualityclub.com and kira books we sell that book get it book, get it if you don't got it get it mm -hmm. um yeah don't take it personal like even you know even then and then give them their space because mm -hmm. and especially if they're an artist because that's mm -hmm. why i tell my friends are artists that with anxiety like bro we're gonna beat ourselves up because we're creative for a living so you're a master creator so the mm -hmm. things you create the obstacles and things you create in your mind mm -hmm. are going to be even 10 times more vivid and real than someone else that's struggling with mm -hmm. anxiety mm -hmm. so you have to realize that especially if it's an artist friend or a younger person because the young person's imagination is like and it's like, right. it's, you know, so just, I think giving them space and, cause it's not, when you get in there and try to deal, deal with it, it'll only frustrate you and make you more. Cause I have a friend that I work with that's even worse off than me. And I'm like, hey man, just get on the fucking plane, man. God damn. Like, yeah. I have a, I have a good friend of mine that won't travel. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, um, you know, she'll make it, she'll, she'll say she's going to travel and then she won't. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it's, I don't know quite how to talk about it. 
Yeah. You know I what I'm saying? I think there's nothing you can do other than love them from afar. And send like, them both. When you're ready and like kind of give them incentive, like when you get here, we're going to do this. If you can make it, but if you can't, that's okay. Mm-hmm. And letting them know, I think leaving the door open and walking away from the door with someone like that is like, cool. Well, whenever you're ready to come in and talk about it or mm-hmm. whenever you're ready to come in and be cool and nice to me again, cool. But to stand there and like try to get them to go through the door is yeah, going to irritate I gotta, you. I got I to figure out how to get out of that space because I feel like I've done that before. You know yeah, or like, slamming the door in their face, like, right. fuck you then. You know, right. like, but it's so easy to because me suffering through it and going with someone who's suffering even further, deeper mm-hmm. into it, it's hard for me. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, well, I know this, even for me, I'm like, I've been there, this, this, and this, work, mm-hmm. do this. And they're like, nah, bro, like, that doesn't work for me. Right. I know for me, uh, whenever I'm feeling anxious or depressed, like, a lot of my friends, they send me uh, different, um, prom- um, not promotional, what the heck is it? motivational like videos and stuff like that like because it's sometimes like you don't know the words to say but like you send a quote or something like that just to show like oh i'm thinking of you and you know whenever you're ready to open up because like he said when you keep trying to force people to talk they're not going to want to talk to you and then you're going to end up getting frustrated and then that person that's feeling depressed is just going to feel even lower because like oh damn now i lost another friend because i didn't know how to tell them i don't want to talk so yeah I i never thought about like sending little things and like yeah, I've sent albums before. Somebody mm-hmm. called out an album like, oh, yo, you need to listen to this mm-hmm. and just leave it there. You know? Yep. Yeah, man. Um, we, like I said, when we first started the conversation, we have a lot of people in common. I want to sort of get your take on some of the people that are some of my favorite people and have helped my career, but that have also helped you. Well, first of all, you know what? We didn't talk about Knife Wonder, right? So let's let's start yeah, with Knife him. Wonder. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> yeah, man, how did you link up with Knife Wonder? How did that, because y'all have a few things together. Yeah, we, uh, someone gave, a friend of mine, ID, in the Bay, gave me a beat tape, mm-hmm. and I've always had a thing for vocal samples, mm-hmm. and I listened to one, I listened to two, I was like, man, get this dude on the phone. I He's incredible. Him. Yeah, I was like, yeah. He's like, I'll send you some beats right now. It's like, cool, he sent me, and this is when he had to mail shit, so he mailed me a beat <laughs> right, tape. Right, right. And I listened to it, and I wrote mm-hmm. something, and I sent him the song that I recorded to it, and he was like, oh, man, I just, um, already sold that beat to Master Ace, and I was like, mm-hmm. my nigga. I was like, that's not about to happen again. I was like, I'll, I'm finished tour this date. I'm flying into North Carolina the next day. And I kind of forced myself into his life. When I recorded with Knife Wonder, um, he insisted that I record in, in North Carolina. Went down there, spent a couple of days down there. Yeah, it's Shout- probably my fault. <laughs> yeah, probably your fault. He started all that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I, yeah, I was like, man, uh, you know, and I became friends with his brother, his mother, his, you know, and his, his daughters. And uh, mm. his daughter that I, we held and babysat when we did mm. this album, Sweet Lord has a beat on the new album and wow. it's crazy. That's beautiful. And she's um she maybe need to do a beat for my daughter. Yeah, she has yeah. um severe hearing loss. Oh, okay. And she's still able to make the most like there's a lot of people like always oh, hit me, oh I got ninth wonder style beats and I hear it and I'm like, yeah. No, you don't. I heard her I sat in the kitchen with her while mm-hmm. she made the beats on the machine. And I'm like, bro, she's better than you. Mm. She's fifteen <laughs> years old and straight up fuck your beats. Right. Her shit is mad hotter than you, bro. Like she's she's gonna smash your whole life. And I'm <laughs> glad you're I'm you glad want? you're a professor now because you're not gonna have right, any. Right, you need another income. Yeah, you need another <laughs> income and she's shutting you down. Nah, but I, um J Def is J Def because she goes by and uh she's Great a, name. she's a man. But that's you know, that's ninth wonder like me. We, I always tell people we're not friends, we're more like brothers because okay. I don't think we have a whole lot in common. I'm mm-hmm. very different. No, y'all, y'all are very different. But we love each other yeah. a whole lot. And, yeah, uh, y'all both intense. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very intense guys. Um, oh no, wow. Oh no is somebody who my, some of my favorite records of my career have been done with. Oh no, um, I, and you know people associate me rightfully so with high tech and and Kanye and other producers. But in my independent space, yeah. 
Oh No has been my go-to. Yeah, man. You He's know from Oxnard. He loves, Shout out to Oxnard. Loves, loves video games. Madlib's brother. Yeah. When you go to Ono's house, he has every video game controller ever made. And so he could play, <laughs> literally, you could, he could play every video game that's ever come out. Wow. He's a, he's a, like, he's great with beats, but, mm-hmm. and that's the thing too, is like a lot of us with creativity end up in hip hop mm-hmm. because it's the only place we're allowed to be this creative mm-hmm. and innovative. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Madlib, I mean, I, Ono's true calling is, Madlib's calling his music, and I feel like Ono should have been games? at Rockstar Games. He like, can, I think if, he has some relationships. He I think he's doing... putting stuff together now, yeah, yeah, but yeah. he's someone that should have been there since he was 10. Yeah. You know, but our, know our family should. be like, don't play video games. Like, I should have been a pro skater. Right. But my mom was like, you'll break your neck. I'm like, I need to go to skate park. You went right. there last weekend. You don't need to go last <laughs> You ain't no white boy. Late. Why are you there every weekend? You ain't no white boy. It's never too late. <laughs> like, you gonna break your neck. And I'm like, no, motherfucker. I could mm-hmm. be making millions of dollars right You're seeing niggas, you out here like like you in the mid-90s or something. Like, Look at these guys. But living in LA, that's like the culture. It's like skateboard culture. Everyone's on the skateboard. Yeah, but it wasn't seen as a viable source of income. Like it was mm-hmm. something that we all right. did. Like there's some gangbangers now at my age that have mean ass kickflips. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like you asked to do. You know, there's dudes in Jerry curls riding right. skateboards because it, it was a California thing. But we weren't, or my parents and a lot right. of black house, you weren't allowed to take that seriously. You're gonna break your neck. Mm-hmm. We're like I said, fearful. Don't be gay. You're gonna get AIDS. Don't right. be. You know what I mean? Like right. when you look at it, the core survival of a lot of mode. Yeah, it's survival mode. So yeah. you can't really be mad at our elders. I'm not right. mad at my so hotel brothers. Like us. it's a mm-hmm. it's a genuine fear we have from being right. oppressed and PTSD. Mm-hmm. There's so much that goes into it. I get it. Right. And like, T- T.I. said we we should be considered veterans of the drug war. I mean, like you know, it's real. Like I can't watch Snowfall. Mm. Like I watched the first season and my wife's like, "Let's go." It's too I, close to home. I, yeah, it fucks me up. Mm. Like Side I start up. to tear up. I start to like have nightmares. Like mm-hmm. I lived a lot of shit. Wow. I'm a product of that shit. But now that John's gone, like I'm gonna sit down and I'm Look gonna watch it. it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, me being removed, um, you know, it's, I, I I thought it was very good. John is the executive producer. Rest in peace, John Singleton. Other directors that he brought in did great great work on it. Um, it's 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 a, it's a fantasy. It's it's Hollywood. So it's like it's glossy. Yeah, it's very good. It's a good look. It looks good. It makes it. It makes it look like that criminal activity and all that tragedy. It makes it look real sexy, but it does tell aspects of the story and give sort of, sort of insight a little bit. But I can see how it could be triggering a little bit. Yes, yeah, trigger. It's definitely yeah. triggering for me. But John was another one. There was not a huge space for him. But like mm-hmm. I became acquaintances or more friendly with John when we went to the Golden Out. We, we both. He was a comic nerd. Mm-hmm. So every Wednesday. I pull up in my bins and we had match. I didn't know I had the same bins and we pull the same mm-hmm. bins and we just talk about talk Black to Panther. Me, talk to me more about the comic thing because the comics and the hip hop have a genuine overlap that I think people don't really take into consideration. I didn't, my mother's an educator and so I didn't grow up reading comics at all. Comics were looked at as like, that's not real. Um, right. When I was a kid, my first comic that I got into, uh, you know, of course, uh, X-Men and the Marvel Universe, like Iron Man and Thor and all that shit was cracking when I was a kid. But I was really into Transformers. And yeah. so that was the first Marvel comic I bought was Transformers. Oh, that makes sense. Because it was like I wanted to read the stories about Optimus Prime and Megatron. Um, when the comic, when Marvel Universe got ill with the films, I went back because I, I, like, I like movies a lot. So the Marvel movies are so good. I wanted to know, well, what's the real story? Well, what are the intricate relationships? So the movies from Iron Man and back in the days had me going back and reading Reason. some of those comics. And then I like I like graphic novels. I read the, the Batman stuff. The, I read the Watchmen and all that stuff. I was like, okay, this to me, this I could get into this because yeah. it kind of melds the literary with the with the comics. But speak speak more about that, like how Pete Rock. I went on a road with Pete Rock. It's comic book nerd. 
Pete Rock would watch Spider-Man and the Hulk, the cartoons, the live action series, every day waking up in the bed. Like he loved the fucking Hulk a lot. A lot. <laughs> a, lot. <laughs> a lot. I love the Hulk too. That was my favorite cartoon growing up. That shit was the shit. But what's that connection? What do you think it is? I don't know, man. For me, because I'm a storyteller, it's the storytelling, man. Okay. And it's um for me it's escapism, you know? Mm-hmm. Also, like it was that's another, I couldn't listen to gangster rap. I can't watch Snowfall. I don't know if I'm like too empathetic or mm-hmm. what it is, but like I was always looking for like, what can I use? Right. Like, you know, I was, Other worlds. Yeah, d- there's domestic violence mm-hmm. at home. Like mm-hmm. that was intense for me. And then the crack era was happening outside mm-hmm. of the home. So it was just like, where can I go? Mm-hmm. And I was like, my mom always emphasized reading. So if I wanted something, I could get a Christian rap tape or a comic book. Like mm-hmm. that was, if I was getting something, that was my, and I would just take comic books. And then when I got older, I met a dude who, in high school who used to boost comic books and we would mm-hmm. just he would boost me a copy of everything and mm-hmm. so I was like cool I'm I'm good that's interesting I did I did the Marvel live recently just an interview and I talked about how where I grew up comic book culture was based on boosting and stealing the comics and originally comics weren't in plastic but they had to put them in plastic after a while because the only way kids from the hood was read them was they go to the comic book store and just read the book uh-huh. yeah like i can't buy it I'm, and then either i'm gonna steal it or i'm gonna read it right, there right in the here store. and that's yeah. yeah that's what we were doing mm-hmm. and now i shop at the comic book stores i used to steal from or <laughs> right you know but i i yeah i just got into it man the colors the stories for mm-hmm. me it's the stories like i don't i, I used to ball them up put in my pocket mm-hmm. i don't know a lot of comic book artists i am a fan of literature okay so like i would stories. i like the story so mm-hmm. i look at who wrote the comic a lot of my friends would be like oh rob lightfield did the chromium mm-hmm. i'm like nigga what happened right like what's going jim shooter tells a hell of a story mm-hmm. did he write that and then when i got old enough i started learning things about like okay this alan moore who wrote Watchmen. right like, alan moore you know like all these mm-hmm. names are um it's just it's dope, man. It's a uh, and the comic black comic culture is slowly coming around. And there's a dude named um, DJ Patrick Reed uh, who does a he gets me in a comic con every year because there's a hip hop mm. and comics panel. He knows the whole mm. history and Kid and Play being the first I remember that black comic. cartoon, the first black that. comic done by black people. Mm-hmm. And he has original pages of it, and it's just the history of like the De La Soul comic. He knows mm-hmm. the guy who did that, and like there's a the whole one that was in the in the, the De La, La Soul's dead and um, yeah, Three Feet High and Rising. Right. And so there's like artists that are haven't been, you know, getting their play. But now that Black Panther is a huge thing, mm-hmm. hopefully black people in hip hop culture will start to care more because we definitely have roots in comic culture. Right. I'm hearing that at Comic-Con and the other spaces that the Afrofuturist thing is the, the biggest thing and the black nerd thing is the biggest thing in these comic spaces. Yeah, we're getting we're getting there, man. Our panel has grown significantly over the years. There used to be a couple people and now it's full mm-hmm. and like there's people that want that look forward to me mm-hmm. doing that panel every year mm-hmm. and so it's a it's a thing man i hope you know marvel doing the hip-hop crossover right i was in they in the, in one of those miles morales comics he's in a muse he's in a like a maybe a museum or someplace and they 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 start quoting black star in the comic wow which was dope for me yeah that's amazing yeah another comic uh Aaron Magruder was quoting Black Star in early Boondocks. Back Boon, in the yeah, day. That was not, I used to read the paper for. Yeah, in the paper he was Boondocks. Yeah, when in Wait, 90, Boondocks was a comic first. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> it was I a comic strip. Welcome back, Jasmine. I mean, I, I didn't read comics growing right. up, and it's like it was, even with the movies, I, I, I didn't know that they were from comic books. I just thought they were just like right. great movie. Like, movies. He's a great movie I, characters. Like, why? Who is this Captain Marvel person? Um, I remember, like, I was still reading. I grew up reading the Daily News comic section. Uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying, like Family Circus. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Beetle Bailey and shit like that. I remember when Boondocks debuted. I was still reading the newspaper when wow. Boondocks. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, this is revolutionary. Yeah. The black kid named Huey Freeman talking that shit, and he, it wasn't it wasn't vulgar because it wasn't it was it wasn't the strip was very saccharine. 
compared to it what it became adult on Adult Swim. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's not what. Yeah. yeah. I guess yeah, maybe no a lot cursing. of Boondocks fans would be disappointed. No, it was very. That's it was very. But it was very, very pro-black, pro-social justice in the comic space next to the family circus Bro, in Marmaduke. Yeah, I used to tear I was like, up the, mother, the wow. motherfucking L.A. Times in the morning. I'm like, mm-hmm. yo. Go straight to the shit first. Right? Yeah, like, for real. I used to be in the calendar section looking at the arts and entertainment. Yeah, yeah. Then, then I'd work my way through work the sports. Work your way. Yeah. You, you, you use it as like a dessert. Yeah. As a comes, payoff. Yeah. yeah. But once like, Boondocks, nigga, where? What? Yeah. But what year was this? Because I feel like I used to watch, I used to, I'm sorry. It's early 90s. Yeah, 90s. Okay, see, I wasn't, when I was reading Was it because you're young or because you were gay? <laughs> it's because I'm gay. That's why. That's why. <laughs> gay people don't read newspapers. Don't read no, but I did read newspapers because I used to always do current events or whatever. I loved that we did current events in school, but I never really read the comics. I would mm-hmm. just read like regular books. And it's funny how you're like, oh, they put the comics in plastic because people would go read them. My mom used to just take us to the bookstore and we would just be there for hours reading books. And yeah, you could do back. that at Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble. But at a comic our... shop, there's nah, a big fat, just... like unkept. Socially awkward. Comic guy man. from The Simpsons. Yeah, he's gonna tell you. Wait, The Simpsons is a comic out. too? No, this, well, yes, oh. The Simpsons is, started as a comic wow. in in the, in the village. No, Matt Gronick started Life in Hell. Yeah, Life in Hell, which was the little rabbit. Yeah, and then from that, The Simpsons was a strip he was doing wow. that debuted as a comic because uh, oh. the show on Tracy, Tracy Ullman, Ullman in '87. That's when I was born. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you are young. You're a young person. <laughs> tell me again. You're such a young lady. Oh, thank you. <laughs> such a fucking lady. It's such um, a fucking. Let me ask you this because something has come up a couple of times in this interview. Right. You spoke and you said your you were your mother was a you would sing. Are you single child? Yeah. No, a I'm single, child. Child. single mother. Single, single mother. mother. Single, single mother. mother. That's what I meant to say. Um, single mother. But you said to me that you mentioned corporal punishment being yes. influential in your life, yeah. and you mentioned that we disagree about that. Yeah. I imagine you knew that I disagreed about that from Twitter? Yeah. Okay, because I had a whole Twitter discussion about, yeah. for a couple of weeks about my stance on corporal punishment, yeah. how I'm, I'm against it, yeah. and how I, I also am coming to it from a privileged position because my parents didn't hit me. Yeah. Oh, wow. The one time I got hit, my grandmother hit me. Rest in peace, I love her. She showed me what that life was was about. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize that was a thing. I'm looking up. Wow. She might come yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, but... You know, there were some heated discussions back and forth, but you referred to it just now uh, when, when you talk it early. You were like, "I learned, I, I, I you know, it's like you, your child touch a stove. You learn not to touch the stove, right?" But then you referred to it as domestic violence and a problem. Oh no, no, my mom was getting beat by her, ah, by my, by my stepdad okay. and my yeah. father. Do you think that her going through that had to do with any of dealing with you and corporate Oh yeah, that, that that bled over. Mm-hmm. There were times like when she had when my stepfather was her boyfriend for instance. Mm-hmm. I was cuz I was I tested into whatever things. So they used to bust me to a, they bust me to another school. Mm-hmm. And I was 6 years old getting bust home, but mm-hmm. I had a single. Basically I had a single mother. She was dating my step soon to be stepfather. And uh there was no one at home. Mm-hmm. So I literally like the first time I walked across the street, I was very literate and very intelligent, but the don't walk sign came on and I walked back the other way. Mm-hmm. And I kept doing that for minutes until one of my neighbors saw me and like walked me home. Mm. So this is mm. how young I am. Right. So one right. day the bus driver forgets I'm on the bus and drops me off at the wrong place. But at six year old, I knew my mom's phone number. Went to a gas station. You had to memorize numbers back then. Yeah, I, I knew still num- I number. know numbers now from when I was seven, so, eight. Yeah, I know yeah. my mom's work number still. And I'm yeah, like numbers that don't even exist no more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. right. You don't know anyone's number. My right address, now. everything. Right. And I was like, all right, just call my mom at some gas station. The guy was kind enough to call her. She came to pick me up, and she beat the shit out of mm. me because I made her late for a date with my stepfather who beat the shit out of her. Oh. So it was literally legit. He beat her up, mm-hmm. and then she came down the hall, mm. and that day I got hit with the belt buckle. Mm. And that was like, 
what the fuck. But yeah, that was definitely based on that. Mm. Um, but there are, and I, but at the age, that age, I learned to distinguish. And I have a song out now that for me and I want to call "Gas Station Gucci Belt." Okay. Where I talk about my stepfather. Wow. Okay. Was, so this is you. You already documented this. Well, this this next story is like I knew when I was just and I was learning a lesson, and I knew when it was residual. Mm. Right. And then my stepfather, I learned, was used to smoke crack. He was a plant oh. manager and a janitor, but used to smoke crack and do coke. Mm. And uh, for Christmas, he would, we would still go to work with him at the school he worked at, and he gave us a remote control car. Mm-hmm. And it went in the dirt and everything and blah, blah, blah. And he bought us some stonewashed turquoise jeans from the swap meet. Like, mm-hmm. we were dressed in our silk shirts, the house there, you know. Our jeans got dirty. Mm-hmm. And the car that he bought for C- at Sears for $59 broke when it was in the dirt. But on the box, it says you could put it. It's a picture of mm-hmm. it in the dirt. We didn't do anything wrong. Right, right, and we got right. in the car, and he's driving drunk, and he's high. But I don't know that. But I know that something's not right now. with him. And he's like, y'all niggas tear up shit. Y'all don't appreciate shit. I'm going to tear y'all ass up when we get home. It was a, from Van Nuys to Covina, it was a long time. Mm. We drove, and uh, I'm terrified. And then somewhere along the line, I made up my mind. So when we got home, he brought the bell, started hitting me. And I tried to explain it to him. And then I told him, I said, my nigga, if you touch me again, I will fucking kill you in your sleep. Mm. Like, you have officially crossed the line. What age was that? I was 13. And he started, he started sleeping with the doors locked, and then that was the breakdown of their marriage because mm. he wouldn't be alone with me because he knew, whatever he saw in me, he knew at that point it was real. I was right. gonna, I, I was like, you're not gonna, you're not gonna be like, there's, you know, I and I right. never drew that line. Sound like a hood bar mitzvah. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> if I like, if I didn't take out the trash, mm-hmm. I'll take that ass whooping. Mm-hmm. And that's another, I guess, too, it taught me to take an ass whooping, which is another reason that gave me my courage. Like, I'll say what the fuck I want. I'll take an ass whooping. I don't give Same. a fuck. Like, but when I'm not wrong and mm-hmm. you're trying, that was the point. I was like, mm-hmm. my nigga, like, you will die. Mm. And so in that, like I said, we couldn't stay in the house with them much longer after that. That was very bold. I don't think I ever told my mom, if you touch me again, I'll kill you. But 13 is the age I feel like, actually, I still got whoopings in 10th grade, too. But I kind of deserved it because I lied about my report card. But other than that, I feel yeah, like... I, I got to the age where I let my mom, but me and my mom had a fist fight. Mm. And because she, my, it was like, but it was little shit. Like, my mom was like, you didn't wash your face. I'm tired of you niggas walking out the house dirty with crust in your eyes, blah, blah. Your, 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 teeth, your, your washcloth is bone dry. And I knew I washed my face. And she was looking at my brother's one and she mm. slapped me. And I hit her back. And I was like, yo, mm. chill. Like, this is, but it was a very violent situation. How was that? I was about 14, 15. Mm. I was at that point, I was like, and there was times after that where I did school or I got caught with weed and my mom would slap me. I never would raise my hand to my mother. It. Like, I got, I had that coming. All right. You know, but mm. then I also got to the point where I started, um, that's a whole nother connection we didn't talk about probably, but Dr. York. And I started going to mm. Dr. York classes and reading books and getting right knowledge and like, being in control of myself. Mm-hmm. And so I tell my mom, like, don't hit me. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do what I want. Don't yell at me. Right. We don't have to raise our voices. We could communicate. You start reclaiming your time and space. Yeah, and I'm like, mm-hmm. yo, this is it. I'm gonna do, I'm going to, I'm, I just wanna say, I'm, I just, I'm, I'm going to smoke weed. Mm-hmm. If that means I can't use the phone, then I'm gonna use the phone mm-hmm. until I can find a way to get out of your house. But there's no reason for us to go back and forth because you're not gonna change my mind. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do what I want. If you don't want me living here, then I'll leave. But what you're not going to do is yell at me and you're not going to put your hands on me. Mm. And that's it. Wow. And then we came into respect. And I think that got me. And then, you know, but when I was younger, I'm like, why you always got to sock people? Why? I was getting suspended. I was always fighting. I'm like, because when I do something wrong, you get hit. You hit me. So if someone violates me. That's what you learned. I'm going to hit them. And it was a school full of those kids. And now we have a community full of those kids. Wow. We give those same kids that's guns. So true. What the fuck is going to exactly happen? Right. 
it's learned behavior. And I was I had wrote on a, a Facebook status or whatever, and I'm like, yo, we're beating our kids because we were beat as slaves. Yeah, I told my mom. And then white people don't even, aren't even known for beating their kids, and that's like the irony of it. But see, I'm a little in the middle because I do feel like you do need beating sometimes, like. At some point, words are not going to do anything, but I don't. I don't agree with all the beatings my mom gave. Like I don't feel like. Like one time I got woken up because it was like a dirty fork or whatever, and I got a beating for that. I don't feel yeah, like you get beat for right. a dirty fork. You know I'm not good at dishes. Stop making me wash dishes. Right. I. I you know. I, it's a tough thing because. <laughs> my Sorry, mommy. My position on it is is hard sometimes because it comes across. It's judgmental sometimes. And you're talking about people's parents. Mm -hmm. Talk about people they love and people they know that love them, and. My position, just for the record, is that that's abuse, right? But nobody wants to hear that the parent that they know loved them and that they know they love was abusive to them. Yeah. Nobody wants to, nobody, it's hard to hear. So it's like, um, yeah, I, I just try to approach it in a way where it's like, again, I'm coming from a place where I know I wasn't beat and I, I know I wasn't hit and I know how things turned out for me. Some people feel like I know, I'm who I am because I was beat and I was hit. You know, it's like and I, I feel like that's the thing. It's like that's what I when I heard. I was like, I know you are who you are mm -hmm. because you, you didn't. Not. And mm -hmm. I could always tell kids who didn't have boundaries growing up. So mm -hmm. I'm like, my nigga, I'll knock you out. And I mm -hmm. most men don't have to say that to other men mm -hmm. unless you're built like that. And I'm like, oh, you're not built like that, but you run like the fact that you argue with niggas like that on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, because I'm not going. I don't argue with niggas on Twitter. Right. I'll DM a nigga or I'll pull up. Right. Like it's just a different thing because you're not from a vi you're not a violent person. Right, I I I am I am working in the space of words, and I'm willing to take that all the way. I'm willing to exhaust every fucking word. I'm gonna say all the words. I'm gonna say all the words. You can really tell when someone hasn't been slapped before. You can really tell when someone has not been in a fight before. No, like, and I've been in a fight. I've had to hold hold my own own, and I've lost fights and I've won fights. Um, but I do feel like you know I am. I try to be. My thing is, I'm anti-violent, I'm pro-karma. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I have no problem with consequences. I have no problem with a white supremacist getting punched in the face if he says some shit. You might have to get punched in the face. I also have no problem with if the dude punched him in the face going to jail. Because I understand that that's against the law, right? So I'm like, okay, because I don't even respect those laws. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I have no problem with any of the consequences. That's why I talk the shit I talk on Twitter, because I'm like, I'm ready for all the consequences. No, that, nothing, I'm not saying you're not ready for it, but right. I, I didn't I would, think you were. I just, I just, I just, like, there's you, a, you, you made an accurate ob observation. Yeah. But I was like, yo, so I was like, all right, if you didn't give, like, for me, it's just, I look at it as when you touch fire, God didn't say, Oh, that's not a good idea. Mm. It hurts. It hurt. It's a and, lesson there. And I think that's what I know that like if I'm going to use corporal punishment, if I would choose to do it with my kids, mm. it'll be before the age of seven mm. or six or when I when I feel like you understand what the fuck I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Like my son now, I'll be like my nigga, or even like I told him, I'll be like, hey, cuz like what the fuck is your problem? Mm -hmm. and he was, now all you have to say is like you know what I mean. But my mom also told told me like just spank them with the spoon on their hand, mm -hmm. and it's not the the that you know the pain it's the sound it's the shock of like oh shit this mm -hmm. person that loves me and cares for me every day felt they had to resort to physically touching me right but and as you said what you learn is when i get into problem yeah but I, I think but, but that's saying I, I use i i may i can you know because of the law i may or may not have used that with my son and my son right. is the kindest person ever right. he won't he's eight inches taller than every kid on his basketball mm -hmm. team he refuses to block a shot or steal a bat ball. I said, "Why aren't you stealing? We're yelling at you to steal the ball. That wouldn't be kind, Pop Pop." Uh uh. <laughs> well, God bless him. The truth come out the mouths of babes. And so I was like, yeah. "This is a kid, you know, that may or not have been, may not have been spanked, but I don't use it for like for dirty mm. dishes. My kid 
you know, has unbuckled his safety belt and hopped out of his car seat while we're going 80 miles per hour on the freeway. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. if my son is reaching into the oven, I'm going to slap his hand. Mm -hmm. right. But once yeah. he, like I said, now my yeah, son yeah, is yeah. six, I, yeah, we rock. We talk about mm -hmm. everything. I will never hit my kid again. And I tell him, I'm like, you, I've, I've told him on this last, I had him all summer. I was like, my nigga, I was like, you're making me want to hit you. Mm. Well, you God, know, I was like, and I was like, what? and he's like, why? And he's like, I was like, because I told you five times not to go over the back mm -hmm. of the couch. You're going to slip and break your head. And that scares me. And then I'll mm -hmm. rock it out with him. But I wouldn't hit him. I was like, I'm never going to hit you, but this is what it makes me feel. Or he'll tell me, like, why are you yelling at me, Pop Pop? You're not being a good parent. Mm, that's that's like, Chimes have changed so much that you can like talk to your parents like that. And I'm, it's, it's a great thing because yeah, I God feel like him. growing up, if my mom would have explained things to me, then I probably would be, you know. Yeah, and when he checks me like that, I he forces me to explain. Mm -hmm. that, and that's, the, that's, that's where I take it with, 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 because I feel like that's really what the job of the parent is, right? The job is to figure out how do how you have a relationship with your child and how do you explain things? Like I get frustrated when I be in the airport and I see kids on leashes or I see kids <laughs> like, I see kids being inquisitive, right? Because that's what kids are like, mom, like I was at the waiting for the badge come out and the kid is like, mommy, uh, why are we waiting here? Well, how long are the back on the tape? Well, how are we gonna know it's our bag? Well, how, and, and the parents, I, I can tell, are getting frustrated. I'm like, that's a brilliant kid mm -hmm. because he's not just accepting the surface. He's not just standing here just being a cog in the wheel. He wants to know how things are working so he can make informed decisions about how he moves forward. And if some, if his parents would just stop ignoring him because they're annoyed from taking a long flight or whatever and take the time to explain and, and conversate with him and let him know this is why this is happening, that to me is how you raise kids. I feel like if we get to that, we won't we won't be in situations where it has to become violent. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? My friend. But, oh, sorry. Go ahead. My friend has a client. Um, freak, I can't remember his name right now. But they have like this. Did uh, you say freak? I said freak. <laughs> I know. I turned into like a <laughs> freak. <laughs> I'm so corny sometimes. But anyway, we I can't remember the client's name or whatever. But uh, we were over there and they have seven kids, mm -hmm. and he was talking in the calmest voice, but. And, and he just raised his voice a little bit over that octave and the kid like stood up straight and was like, oh no, this is wrong. And I'm like, if they had parents in classes that taught you how to they should have keep, your kid, keep your cool or whatever, so you're not going off on your kid because it's like- It's like the most of, important job in the world. Why yeah. do we not have classes to teach us how to do this? I don't know. I mean, yeah, and then that's like, what is this dude's name? Andrew Yang, he's yeah. talking about that. Like his wife's financial value, monetary value to America is zero dollars. Mm -hmm. But she takes care of his both his kids. One has autism and it's the most important job it's in the, the world. Important job. Why isn't she paid? Right. I or, agree. You know, like raising you know, human beings yeah, like to be is, better. Same thing with teachers though. It's like those are the people that are literally in charge of our future, but yet they're getting paid That's right. Freaking what is it, dimes and nickels? What's yeah, that's right. Term? Yeah, like yeah, open heart surgery and all that stuff is very important, but so is so is parenting. And, mm -hmm. and so is raising, you know, or, or teaching a class full of fucking first graders. I yeah. don't want to be in a room full of seven-year-olds for eight hours a day. Fuck that. Mm -hmm. Right. You so know, like, Someone got to do it. So, and if you have the patience to do that, you should be paid. I agree, man. Oh, Shout yeah. out to the teachers. That's open heart teachers surgery. I come from teachers. Um, I have one Tell more me. question. Then. Okay. Guinness Book of World Records. Oh, yeah. 2016. That was set, slick. You're an MC. <laughs> set the record for rapping, what, 24 hours? Yeah. What? Freestyling. No, not freestyle. For, okay, just shout out, to, shout out to Supernatural. Shout out to Supernatural because he, he, he... He is the freestyler. Okay, Supernatural is a good friend of mine. Okay. He set the record for yeah. longest freestyle and then someone didn't tape it? No, it was the tapes were lost 
or stolen out of a pickup mm. truck in, in Hollywood, California. That's terrible. I had my wallet stolen. I was there when, I, when the tapes were stolen. Right. So shout out to Supernatural. But that's, I mean, freestyle or not, that's an impressive feat. Yeah. Guinness Book of World Records, I mean, for, for I, I'm born in this 1970s. Guinness Book is like yeah, a that's big, a big that's a big fucking deal. The world record in the Guinness Book. So, you know, congratulations and to Merz. Yeah. But tell us a little bit about that. Um, Thank you. That's a weak clapping, guys. Jeez. Hey, man. <laughs> there um, we go. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have the record anymore. Mm -hmm. um, oh. It was beat, beat me, beat by some kid. Red Bull took the same program, copied the program, and did it two and a half okay, weeks Okay, you later. know Red Bull spends a lot of money and makes a lot of money with hip-hop culture, and they do a lot of rap yeah. battles and DJ battles yeah. and break and I love Red Bull BC1. Yeah. It's the reason my kid is a B-boy. Mm -hmm. And it gives you wings. six-year-old, and my one-year-old loves B-boy because mm -hmm. I'm addicted to Red Bull BC1. Yeah. I need to host that shit. I'm addicted to Red Bull, but that's another thing. I, know, I just <laughs> had a Red Bull, actually. Um, it was a... Uh, what's a people's party without an energy drink? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh... Nah, it was Boost Mobile. They had an mm -hmm. unlimited service. And I was mm -hmm. like, they brought me in as a consultant for the marketing. And my homeboy, um, Jay Yedo, was um, doing the um, marketing. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yo, I just did this campaign with Merce. He's a smart guy. He knows a lot of people. So we set up a, a talk show where we did uh, Where You At LA. And it was filmed on cell phones mm -hmm. using their unlimited service. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, we wow. want to culminate this to something. We're going to have six episodes. We had YG. We had Dog Pound. We had mm -hmm. Crazy Tunes, Rest in Peace. We had Rest in Peace, Crazy Tunes. Um, yeah. We had a whole list of people. We had Casey Veggies. We had Dame Dash. We had like a whole litany of people. And then uh, it ended with, they're like, we want to do something that. I was like, oh, you guys should have somebody rap for 24 hours. <laughs> and they were like, yeah. yeah. Everybody like, and they were like, the budget is not there. And I was like, and they gave me the budget. I was like, yeah, I can't find anybody to do mm -hmm. that. And I was like, all right. They're like, well, why don't you do it? And I was like, and I was like I'm not hours? rapping. And I was like, wait, can I do other people's songs? And I was like, well, shit, yeah. And then me and Mr. Lynn from CoFlow, um, Shout out to Mr. Shout Lynn. Shout out to DJ Mr. Lynn. Mm -hmm. uh, he put together a thing and I did. Uh, there's all these rules when you're setting a world record. You have, mm -hmm. to, you have to take a break every two hours for five minutes. You can stack your five-minute break by doing four hours or something. And I think it's for every one hour, five minutes. That's a, for every one hour, you do a five-minute break. But what they, I was like, oh, that's great. But what they don't tell you is that you end up being for up for 26 hours. Because those five-minute breaks add up to yeah, another two end, hours. Right. Right. So, but you have to take these breaks. Whether it's after, so I was just doing, being a human being. Yeah, or no, they, it's not legal for them. Like, you, right, right. They won't record it. So I was like, all right. So I would do three hour increments and a fifteen minute break. Three hours, in, and I had three a three hour Wu Tang hour. I had a three hour Tribe hour. I, so I know these songs by heart, and I'll have shout out to Rap Genius. I'll have the lyrics up just in case I got tired, wow. and I just sat in this place and I rapped in front of this green screen, and then I did three hours. hours of my songs. No, I did six hours of my songs and. It was. I think I had that sounds cycles. Fucking insane. That yeah. I'm trying to figure I had out. Eight how hour, you I had eight up. hour cycles. And that's and I just did three eight-hour cycles of this, and what I thought was going to happen originally was that my voice I would lose my voice, but I practiced on Twitch, so I did eight-hour and sixteen-hour marathons on Twitch training, and then what happened was my neck started hurting because you can't Muscle. yeah because I was just like uh and I couldn't rap like this because I was just so into it, and so they had a massage person boost like wow. provided a massage person so. Every third, three hours, I would get a 15-minute massage. I really didn't need to eat. I really didn't mm. need coffee. but The I, adrenaline of it. Yeah, the adrenaline. I love rap. And mm. it was like, oh, I get to do Protect Your Neck three times tonight, today. And thousands of wow. people are watching. That's dope, wow. you know? This is a real rap genius right here. Oh, yeah. Give it up for Merce. Yes! Thank you.